from the last video store in the universe it's binge movies 149 i'm jason this is the show that ranks eliminates movies to determine which ones are most worthy of preservation for all time even beyond the end times on this episode we go to camp Triumph Return of Kevin R. Brackett, my, my buddy uh, from Real Spoilers. He's joining us for the season premiere of season 7.2 and the beginning of everybody's favorite time of year, the best time of year, the third annual VHS Summer. How's VHS Summer treating you so far? It's treating me pretty good so far. I've actually picked up a couple of VHS tapes at the local thrift store, so I've been nice. stocking up. I'm ready for a for a hot, wet, and wild VHS summer. I'm ready to go. <laughs> hot, wet, wild. You stay indoors. You don't interact with the public, and you watch a outdated medium. Exactly. See, yeah. that's, that's what I. That's my idea of a good time in bed before ten. In bed before ten. Now, have you picked up a copy of the Buttercream Gang? I have not. Is that uh, something that's e- easily available? It's something that's readily available at most thrift stores. <laughs> usually, <laughs> you, you can usually get them by the grocer's dozen. Oh, <laughs> well. So okay. So those are in a pile right next to the Doctor Zhivago vinyls, which those I think you it, it's a minimum is that a of thing? twelve. Oh my gosh, Doc, that that Doctor Zhivago soundtrack was like the biggest thing ever when it came out. They were giving those away, I think, because every thrift store has at least five to ten of those in the vinyl section, so they're just everywhere. You just taught me something because of all the things that I would think that you'd be able to find at your local thrift store in any place in any town <laughs> USA, it wouldn't have been the Doctor Zhivago <laughs> soundtrack. It's the wow. uh, herb. Herb, whatever, and the Tijuana brass band with the the girl with the whipped cream on her. Yes. Chest. Oh you know, yeah, they, yeah. They, yes. There's yes. that. There's Doctor Zhivago. Yeah. Uh, then you go over to the VHS section, and you've got you know three copies of Indian in the cupboard. Um, you've got at least a couple Jerry Maguires up there. You know, there's the usuals that you find in your travels, and then you find yeah. some diamonds in the rough, like uh, for and uh, well, Joe and I. You know, probably you would appreciate this too. I found a Monster Squad VHS in pretty nice. decent condition. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, you know, I've got uh, the ones I look for, like the ones that I grew up with, I want unopened. I want the sealed copies. So I have Jurassic Park and Jurassic Park 2 sealed. I have, uh-huh. I don't, I have a, don't have a bat. Oh, I might have found the Batman. I at least have a Batman 89 mint. And I uh-huh. think I may have found one sealed. So, you know, I try to find the ones from my youth and get them in pristine condition. And it's a fun little hobby. It is. It is a fun little hobby. Um, by pristine condition, are you part of the speculator market that's going to get these uh, Weta certified or whatever it is? Well, uh, once I find uh, Back to the Future, <laughs> 70000 is what that's going for. So Absolute scam. It's highway hey, robbery. Hey, Go ahead. Jason, here's the yeah. thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. If someone is willing to spend $70,000 on a Back to the Future VHS, they have too much money, and I'm happy to sell it to them. I'm not saying that's my goal, but if someone offers me 70000 for Back to the Future, I'm going to sell it to them. I'm just letting f- you know that right now. 
A fool and his money. A fool yes. and his money. I'm no fool. I'm looking at the Terminator 2 Arcade 1 Up behind you. Yes, sir. With guns? Well, that, that, and if that, you, that's the one you know, up, correct? Yeah, you know, I've got the Simpsons over there. Wow. We got T2 behind me. Yeah, I got a little arcade going, you know, arcade podcast. See, what I want to do is I want to be the last arcade in the universe. So I'm trying to build the collection. You're going to need a particle collider and a <laughs> famous cartoon magnate who may dabble in the occult and who is incapable of dying. Okay. Do you rent any of those out or the particle colliders? Yeah. I don't know how that part of it works. I leave that to Todd. That's his okay. function of the business. Talk you to know, the lawyers, drop some contracts. We'll see what we can do. And, and uh, you know, before the end of this thing, we might have a Chuck E. Cheese. I don't have a stro- I don't have that kind of stroke. Most of what I do is I manage the schedules of our lowly paid teen workers. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. We have less. We have less teen workers and we did uh, one because some of them we had to release for environmental reasons back into their natural habitat. Some we relocated into their forever homes and other uh, businesses. And also and the you know, particle and collider. I wasn't going to go there for legal reasons, oh, but oh, some sorry. of them <laughs> are not currently phased in the time that they used to be phased in. If that makes any, any sense. Understandable. Where, That's I, all we'll I have say. it on. Todd says they're alive. Right. But maybe not in a way that we understand being alive. You understand? Sure. But you know, now, no harm, no harm, no foul. If they don't come back, I mean, you got to give them time to come back until they come back any different than, you know, we just presume the best. And one of them may come back as a kind of a Dr. Manhattan kind of a thing. You never know. You never know what Perfect. you're going to unleash in the world. It's 2023 and we're watching Camp Nowhere on VHS. It's 1994 and we're watching Camp Nowhere on VHS, right? I think you're understanding what's going on here. Where are we in time? Are we in the past? Are we in the future? Are we renting CEDs? Do people have CED players? Is this your universe or is this my universe? Do I even have a universe anymore? Am I even real? You know, these are the things that keep me up at night when I'm trying to, you know, schedule who's going to clean the the restrooms. (laughs) I am just thinking, you know, I had this thought occur to me today as I was uh, yelling at one of our clerks, uh, Dan, uh, to clean the toilets. I, it was a mess. It was the men's room was a horrible mess. And I, Dan, I give you one job and it's to clean the men's urinal and you just can't get it done. So I'm screaming well, at this guy. Fair, I'm screaming at him. Sickness, you use the urinal instead of the toilet. So, I mean, that was kind of a crappy thing to do, but on my part, yeah, I, you use the urinal. You're not supposed to do that. I couldn't get to the one seater fast enough. <laughs> It, listen, if they don't want you pooping in urinals, they shouldn't make it so ergonomically correct for your posterior chain. You understand what I'm saying? It's just like a seat right there. It's a seat. It's a throne. <laughs> it looks more like a throne than the than the toilet. The toilets are so low. I'm a tall guy. Urinal's right there. It's right there. It's at it's ass a free, level. Free backwash too. Oh, it's a it, it's basically a bidet. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's the cleanest way to go. So yes, so I'm screaming at Dan, clean up my shit. You know, I, I didn't, he didn't know it was mine, but I'm saying, clean it up. Why can't you do anything? Why can't you get this done? And he's like, I'm, you know, whatever. And then I, it, so it occurred to me, two things occurred to me. One, if Binge Movies Home Video was in Missouri and not Ohio, we could have 11-year-olds working here. 
Oh, is that the is that the new age requirement? No, you you understand. You haven't been following your local legislation. They're <laughs> repealing child labor laws in your state. <laughs> right? Yeah, it, I, yeah, I did recall hearing something about that. Yes. So I thought, you know what, an eleven-year-old, Justin, get in there and clean up my filth. <laughs> An eleven-year-old's not going to complain. Right? The middle oh. schoolers can work until midnight now. I think is the new thing. When school's out, like right now, summertime, right. school's out. Those kids don't have anywhere to be. Twenty-four-seven binge movies. Employees. We'd have the cleanest <laughs> oh. restrooms anywhere of any <laughs> remaining uh, retail location of your favorite anything. Well, I think I'm, it's I'm nice. We've you. got several family videos sitting vacant around here. We've got real estate property. We can That's scoop up. That's what I'm up. saying. Now, the, the pushback I always get from corporate about that kind of aggressive expansion is, one, there's only one nexus of the universe, and it turns out it's Akron, Ohio, and this sure. store is built on top of it. So that's a problem. That's It's part of our supply chain stuff. Two, um, the particle collider makes it so you can – reach into any hole within the space-time continuum near you and pull out that hole of video. You, that's how we can rent videos to everywhere throughout the entirety of space and time. Sure. Uh, in any format you need. You, you want it on phonograph? We have movies on phonograph. You want it on 8-track? We got movies on 8-track. You want it on a hologram? You want an implant of... Uh, what's that Dolly Parton movie where she was a... Uh, 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 she gave advice over the radio? Dr. Love, uh, Love Doctor, Dr. Dr. Tennessee, that. Medicine Woman, whatever it yes. was, <laughs> it's very popular in 1975 right now. And that's yes. the thing, you know, and how do you return a movie? I'm not near Akron. I rented from Akron. A hole opened up. I reached in. I grabbed a movie. And now I don't know how to return it. And it's very simple. You just take whatever your format is, you turn it sideways, and you stick it near your near, up your nearest hole. And it will mm -hmm. magically appear in binge movies. Hey, I'm right really back on the shelf. I've really been enjoying those um, those new Ernest movies on Talkboy format. Those have been great, so thank you for those. Hi, kids. We're home early. Because of the genius of the folks in Buena Vista, California, um, Jim Varney never died. Right. He died here, maybe, depending on where I'm at, but he didn't die everywhere. Exactly. And he's still making movies for Touchstone, and they're the most, one of the most popular formats. Talk boy. Exactly. It's beautiful thing. So thank you. The only place you can get it. So check out bitch movies. Now, the, the other thought that I had before we get to our movies was we're all characters in a story, it seems, you know, and for many people, it's as if God, whatever you believe that is, is the writer of the story. But what if God's just another character and he doesn't know that someone else is writing him? Oh, man. I, you know, I, we, yeah, that is quite the conundrum because you think of, is this all a simulation? Is someone playing a game? And if they yeah. are, what if that is a simulation and someone's playing that game and you exactly. just go down it's the rabbit ending. hole? It, yeah. it really is. And AI stuff, I think it's just proven our point. I, that's hundred percent right. And the thing is you, you can only bolt, you know, bend and fold the fabric of reality so many times before you start thinking to yourself, what is the purpose of life? There's got to be there's got to be something more real than just sending CEDs, you know, to wherever, to whoever, whenever. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, Jason, I was going to say, I think the purpose is to binge movies. You know what? Wow. 
Kevin, I've been doing this a long time. And it's almost like, I don't want to sound like I'm a genie who's caught in a lamp and I'm just waiting for somebody <laughs> to set me free. But it, you just guessed the secret of what this whole thing's been about. <laughs> I am trying to enlighten the universe as best I can of what the meaning of life is. Yeah. And the meaning, I, I, it out. <laughs> I say it every week. Binge and no on. One picks up on no one yes! picks up on it. And I'm sitting yes! here like he's, he's telling us. <laughs> I've been telling you the purpose of life. The meaning <laughs> of life is binge movies. Yes, exactly. And that's why I'm so honored to be here to talk wow. with you once again. Because it's like, this is it. This is it. This is the pinnacle. Kevin, you have shot above the elite. And you are now. I put you in the category of an overlord. Oh my gosh. Wow. You are so enlightened. I think and you're yes. be, I think you're going to be welcomed up into the, the divine council of the dark movie overlords. Oh my gosh. Well, this is an honor. I didn't have a speech prepared, but I'm gonna be thinking about that as we talk. All right. Folks, I want everybody to know that flesh and blood had not revealed that to Kevin Brackett, and now he's an enlightened being. And if you want to worship him as a savior, you can. Sir religion. <laughs> He's achieved it. He's achieved the closest thing to Godhood anybody can this side of Akron, Ohio. I, I, I'm speechless, Jason. I hope not, because we got a bunch of movies to talk about. And oh, boy, do I, I, I'm never speechless. <laughs> boy, do I have some thoughts. Uh, uh, this, this, is, this is going to either be amazing or... <laughs> More than likely, this is going to crush my soul as the video game movie episode did. I will never forget when that little piece inside of me died listening to the video game episode as I'm yelling at my talk boy when I'm listening to this episode. I'm just yelling into it, hoping that when I play it back with yeah, a different right. tone, I'll hear different results. And I yeah. didn't. It was just like, it was just like someone talking really deep about how bad these movies are. And it just, it, it just crushed my yeah. soul so i'm you, you, really you took out your copy of ernest goes to nuremberg yeah. and you you <laughs> put in the latest episode of binge movies and you're like this son of a bitch i played it yeah. in every speed and it was the same thing it never changed <laughs> <laughs> fuck you jason for besmirching double dragon and you went so right I'm, back i'm here yeah. to hopefully have a better experience in in real life here Jim Varney aside, I, I'm specifically meaning the character of Ernest. Do you think they would have made some serious Ernest portrayals, like um, the the day Ernest the the day the Ernest cried, <laughs> things like that, where he's got to convince a bunch of children to get into a gas chamber? You think they would have done that, or <laughs> I'm I'm not sure they would have gone to that level. Um, I yeah. am very interested to see when, what is it, the three or four years we get to watch that movie. I think something like yeah, that. It's, yeah, it's coming. We're up. working on it. It, it it's. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's held up, but we're going to be the first place to have it anywhere. <laughs> okay, you've got exclusive rights to the. Premise. We have exclusive rights the day the crown the clown cried and the day the, the Ernest day cried. Ernest cried. Okay, <laughs> right, is, yeah. that, is that going to be a double feature situation or you know do you think here's it will be yes and the thing okay. is he does a reprisal in that I've I haven't seen the whole thing I've okay in a preview he does a reprisal of uh, sometimes when it's raining in oh. the day the Ernest cried oh geez wow he well, sings the same song in front of a gas chamber. It's pretty dark. Hi, kids. We're home early. Uh, yeah, I, you know, well, we'll get into, we'll get into that whole thing because I didn't remember it being a musical, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
he didn't remember Ernest singing the heartfelt song about children bullying him as a 40-year-old man. <laughs> yeah, we'll get, we'll get there. Okay, we're talking about summer camp movies, which we eventually are going to. Which means we're talking about meatballs, little darlings, Ernest goes to camp, camp nowhere, and heavyweights, which is oh like gosh. four decades of camp movies. Have you ever had a lineup this strong? <laughs> I can't, this. AFI top five, <laughs> Galloway. <laughs> yeah. Fuck you, Citizen <laughs> Game. <laughs> It's not, it's not even top five summer camp movies. Film. Move over, Orson Welles. Meatballs is coming in. Oh, man. Maybe top oh, six. Shit. Maybe top six. Let's yeah. Yeah, fuck. The <laughs> uh, one thing I did notice, though, is that all of these camp movies and, and all the camp movies we're not talking about and all the camp movies that have yet to be made and all the camp movies that were made in wherever universe you live, they all have similar tropes. And the tropes are this. A bus is going to pick up the ragtag group of kids uh, so they can say goodbye to their parents. But there's The kids are mostly going to be outcasts, especially the ones we follow. There's going to be pranks and bets, some ranging from real wacky to some problematic. <laughs> there's going to be a parent's day where the parents show up. And they oh, yes. see just how crazy things are. There's probably going to be a rival camp full of snooty, snobby kids and or potential romantic uh, partners, other genders. There's probably going to be a big race of some kind or competition sporting event between the rival camps. Oh, the triathlon, the games, yes. whatever they are. Yeah. Yes. There is very, 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 very likely going to be insensitive depictions of First Nations peoples. And we'll get into one of them. And there's going to be summer love. Somebody somewhere is either going to uh, bone or fall in love or both. Yeah. So that, and usually and usually it's the camp counselors and the kids have a version of that. You mean the camp, usually the kids uh, are seducing the camp counselors? Well, uh, well it's, <laughs> I, would say, I would say it's usually separate except for one of these movies we're going to talk about where there's a crossover. That's right. <laughs> An adult love story, a child love story. <laughs> and it's they're finally together. <laughs> Somebody was they're, finally brave enough to take those two things and put them in a in a motion picture. And we're talking about it to kick off your summer, Ben's Lawrence. Oh. <laughs> There's no better way to kick off summer than talk about burgeoning female sexuality in the early 80s, according to men. Uh, <laughs> before we get there, we have to get to burgeoning the burgeoning sexuality of Bill Murray, according to Ivan Reitman and Harold Ramis. Of course, I'm talking about 1979's Meatballs, which currently has a 73%. Fuck you, Orson Welles. Do it! Dear Mom and Dad, I know you couldn't afford to send me to a real good camp, but this is ridiculous. Yesterday we had drowning lessons. Last night we had a cookout in our cabin. Our counselor, Bill Murray, is teaching us self-defense. He's the greatest. Meatballs, rated PG. 
Meatballs was directed by the late, great Ivan Reitman. It was written by Len Blum, Dan Goldberg, Janice Allen, a female, and Harold Ramis. <laughs> Every time I get feedback from a female listener, a little, because it's so rare, a little, uh, that sounder goes off. A female. Oh. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, it is the triumph return of Bill Murray. I think last seen in Lost in Translation. I think it's the last time we saw him. I could be wrong about that. Correct me, internet. I know you will. It was released June 29th, 1979 on a budget of somewhere around 1.2, 1.6 million. It made $70 million. Oh my gosh. $1979. <laughs> That's a quite a bit of money, actually. This is a, a huge lot of hit. money. Yeah. A low cost camp filled with dopes spends the summer getting into wacky hijinks. If you think that synopsis is generic, it is because this is a very, very <laughs> generic movie. Um, go ahead, Kevin. You got a synopsis for me? My synopsis is we should have paid more attention to Bill Murray. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, meatballs. Do you know what it means to call somebody a meatball? Well, I mean, I listened to the song. They sang a whole song <laughs> about it three times, right? There's a disco theme song that explains what a meatball is. Yeah. Uh, but no, apparently this is a, and if Tom were here, and he is with us in spirit, He's, he's like your personal force ghost, uh, Roger Kubert. He, uh, he would tell us that to be a meatball is a, was an old-timey term uh, for someone who was awkward or clumsy. Ah, okay. So okay. that's why they're the, this camp and this, you know, they're, they're the meatballs. I, okay, I intellectually know that what Tripper is saying and doing, a.k.a. Bill Murray, isn't funny or morally correct in some cir right. some circumstances. But I will say that Bill Murray's charisma, a couple of choice lines that are inserted by the female counselor that he is sexually harassing throughout the course of this movie. Oh. I was like, ooh, but at one point he's like, I think I should stop. And she's like, no, you better keep going. So that's consent. She she's actually it is a game because sometimes movies used to show this as like oh it's a game but the girl's not really playing. This movie right. goes out of its way to say no she's actually playing the game along with him. That kind of relieved my conscience a little bit. Uh, and, it, and I think the best part about it is the genuine warmth that he has towards the kid characters, and right. in particular the the outcast kid and I. And how he kind of low, he he cares about this kid, but he's like playing it really low to not embarrass the kid and so forth and so on. Um, and I think the the shining light in this ramshackle movie is the fact that there is like kind of this. It's not it's not mean spirited. It's not mean spirited towards the loser camp. It's not even mean spirited towards the bully camp, the the snobby camp. And the camp counselors are depicted as seemingly really, really caring about the kids. Like the mo the most mean spirited thing they do is they, uh, they prank the 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 main camp counselor, the guy who runs the camp, the camp director, of like they move his bed while he's sleeping, so he wakes up in strange right. places. Which, um, by the way, uh, you'll get this. Uh, this is a hundred percent the inspiration for Salute Your Shorts, right? This is it. I mean, I think it's. Of the same cloth, certainly. 
at one point they are they run somebody's shorts up the flagpole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm like, oh, this is salute your shorts. Like Man. the only different the only difference is they made Ugg kind of a bad guy, you know, and it was ironically salute your shorts feels a little bit more cynical than <laughs> Meatballs does, yeah. Meatballs I mean, is those like, kids are those kids in salute your shorts are pretty bad. If I were UG, I think that I would. I mean, you'd have it. You'd be pretty fed up with those kids. I would agree. Yes, I think this is this meat. I've seen meatballs a number of times. It's by no far like it's not a classic or anything, but it is. I don't know. It's like a preteen movie that doesn't necessarily talk down to preteens, but is still kind of childishly whack wacky it's outdated juvenile humor from a bygone era um the most famous thing in the movie is probably uh him telling a group of <laughs> students a group of campers it just doesn't matter it just doesn't matter right. mean, nothing they do will ever amount to anything so who gives a shit it just doesn't matter and the whole camp is cheering <laughs> <laughs> he really knew how to bring the people together but it but like even that is like okay that could be cynical sure and it kind of is but at the same time like i don't know how to describe it but there is like a a warmth it doesn't feel to me at least a, like a mean-spirited film no it i i see what you're saying it doesn't seem mean-spirited really but I don't know that whole like the thing with the female camp counselor that he's harassing the entire movie. I feel like Roxanne maybe, is that her name? Is that her name? Something uh, like that. I believe so. Yeah. <clears throat> the, it yeah. just if that feels like an afterthought where they're like, well, uh, we want people to like this guy, and he's like, I mean, assaulting her in this room. Like maybe we should add some kind of a line in here. I don't know. It just seemed like the entire time it was very uncomfortable watching what what seemed to be a one-sided game for the most part of the movie yeah i i don't yeah. know it it just if it weren't for bill murray and because and now obviously people are starting to realize the type of person bill murray is and it didn't just start recently but he could get away with a lot of stuff because he yeah. was bill murray yeah. this <clears throat> mythical figure this chive king this what you know he just yeah, right. he's this guy that he just like transcended but that he he lived he's still alive but he thrived in the time where he could get away with doing that stuff right like he could not have been born 30 years later and tried to pull off the same stuff and then be no. in his prime today and so right. he was just in that perfect spot of time where that stuff could fly but going back and looking at it it's like the stuff that seemed like kind of like the lovable um what would you call it? you know like a uh, sarcastic and smart ass and lovable whatever like He's now like a lovable asshole yeah yeah but now yeah. you're like but that's that's just an asshole it, it, it's it's yeah but as, see I, I don't think he i see the thing is i don't think he is an asshole in this movie this no i i, I know what you mean because of the stuff with the heart and at the end of the movie it seems like he kind of comes around but but even <sighs> even all throughout the way he works with the kid the yeah. even the way he talks to the kid counselors you know like or the, the other kids in his bunk like he's not he's not bullying he's not um he's not taking the kid who's the outcast and putting him upside down a trash can says trash belongs in the trash. Sure, sure, sure. Which honestly, if I had, I met a young Seth Green, I also would have put him in the trash and said garbage belongs in the garbage. <laughs> but you know, he's but, a garbage person himself. 
but you know, I think if it weren't for the stuff with the female counselor, if it weren't for the stuff with Roxanne, I think that you would view that character. I would view that character in a better light because you're right. He is genuinely yes. helping people. And that seems yeah. to be a through line with these films is that the counselors genuinely care about the kids. We don't really see camp movies where a kid goes to camp and it's like a, I mean, there are certain exceptions, but like the true camp counselors that are there to work are there to help the kids. And it's yeah. not really like we're at evil camp. Um, and so that's kind of the through line. So I agree with you. But man, there was something really, really uncomfortable with some of the stuff that he was doing. I would say with Roxanne on that couch when she's like yelling for him to stop, which I'm like, today, if someone did that, that would they would get charged with attempted rape. Like that was just sure. extremely yeah. uncomfortable. And, and, um, the pantsing scene, like it, it, obviously it's a, a camp hijink. So, you know, you kind of put it in this like, Oh, it's a movie and it's funny. But again, today you just, there's no way. Yeah. That's what I mean. It's like, this is a movie from a bygone era. Cause this, this right. sort of a bitch is in the seventies. You know what I mean? This right. isn't even it's, an eighties movie. So this you do have 70s. to judge it, you know, yeah. it is of the time. Yeah. And so that's why you give it a little bit of leeway, not saying that it's right, but, at that point in time, things were different. And so I do think that what they're, gets- yeah, what they're trying to do here though. And I, I, a hundred percent agree with you. And I'm not trying to rationalize or justify. I am just trying to provide some context to listeners who maybe haven't seen it or haven't seen it in a while. What they're trying to do this, what the story they're trying to tell is that he, he is a little bit, Bill Murray's character is a little bit kind of immature. Right. And he is, not a little bit immature. He's very immature, but he's got a heart of gold. He's genuinely a good person, caring person. And he's uncomfortable with the fact that he has feelings for her, like genuine, legitimate feelings. And the, the kid even calls him out on it. He's like, you like her. And he's like, oh, you know, I don't you know. Maybe. And she's like, no, you like her. You really like her. Like, why don't you just tell her you like her instead of all this, these boys will be boys shenanigans he's trying to do. And he's just not comfortable in himself. And so the story they're trying to tell is he's helping this younger kid become more comfortable with himself and believe in himself, especially through running. And he, and the kid is helping him um, grow up, in a sense, a little bit, so that he can actually fully express his feelings to Roxanne and they can have, they can finally connect because there's a connection between them. And it's like, will he grow out of the like pranking her almost like a, when you had a crush on a girl and you were in elementary school and you'd like pull her pigtails or something. Will he grow up out of that and like kind of be an adult man and like tell her how he feels, take a risk. But she, you know what? She eventually does. I, I like, I like that story. I like your analysis of it and I buy it. I, I do believe that that is in the film, but you know, I wish that they focused on him more than because that to me seems like a little bit of an afterthought where the movie focuses yeah. oh, more 100%. on, on yeah. the hijinks and it's yeah. always about the, the, the hijinks and the, and obviously and guys chasing after girls. And that's what these movies are focusing on. This is from that era of, Porkies and this, you know, this animal house. Panty raids. It's for panty and, raids, yes. Right. And so right. it focuses on that stuff because that is what uh, either audiences wanted or they felt audiences for these movies wanted. Obviously, this made a ton of money. 
if the movie was more of a focus on his character growing up and we spent more time with that, I think I would yeah. appreciate it more. But to me, the hijinks felt, they fell flat. Most of them fell flat for me. I thought this movie was kind of boring. It was a little bit of a slog to get through. Uh, I hadn't seen it since VHS as a kid. So, I mean, it had been a long time since oh, I've seen yeah, this. This yeah. is by no means a like a, a favorite that I wore out or anything. And so watching this, I'm like, this just isn't, that fun it, it it to me was you know with the stuff he's doing that was uncomfortable yeah and then the hijinks that fell flat i'm like this movie's just a bummer to me um i think they could have salvaged some of that if she had indicated uh if it had been more obvious that she is uh, consenting to the playfulness that it do is it up a, front. Do it. The yeah, do first it up front. Thing, yeah. Do it. If they yes. would have said when they got to camp, okay, we're going to play this game and it's going to be fun and I'm going to be hard to get whatever. And then they played the game throughout the movie. Yes. I think they would have accomplished these things and it would have felt a lot less uncomfortable and I could have yes. had more fun with it. Correct. All it could, all it needed to be was because he only sees her every year at camp, right? Cause they're from yeah. different parts of the state or country or whatever. And they've been, they've sort of grown up together, these two characters, right? And they've, now they're like the oldest people at camp. They're like the senior camp counselors and they're, you know, in their 20s or whatever. And so uh, the idea, of course, is that, like if they had just reconvened and he's doing his like childish kind of stuff that he's doing. And then, you know, because he kind of does, he's like, you know, how, you know, it's been four years of this or whatever he says, Roxanne, like, how many more years can we go on like this or something? And like, like being like overly melodramatic, you know, and she's, and she kind of blows him off or whatever and gives him some shit back. And that's, that is the good thing about her character. She gives him a lot of shit back. So she's not just like a passive sort of character. Um, Yeah. If she had just, if you had taken that line or that exchange where he's like, I don't, you know, maybe I'll like, ah, maybe I'm going too far or whatever. And she's like, no, I didn't tell you to stop. Like, you know what I mean? She eggs him on a little bit Yeah, and you tell like, oh, she's there they're fucking with each other. You know what I mean? Like she's, right. she's a part of this because it does come too late. It does happen, but it comes too late. So, the, so then you're just like, I was uncomfortable watching it. it. It was, it was an uncomfortable experience. Yeah. You're right. They like needed to, this. they needed to front load that, that she's, that this is their relationship, that they're on equal footing, essentially. Uh, no, this is, here's the thing. This is not a great movie. It is a very cheaply made movie. It was cashing in on sex comedies from the the people who made sex comedies shot in Canada on a shoestring budget to make money with a bunch of untrained child actors. Yeah. <laughs> and a slapdash script. Uh, just to, that's what it is. They of course didn't even know if Bill Murray was actually going to be in the movie until like the sixth day of production when he just right. showed up, um, you know, has all those tropes. We get the bus pickup, obviously outcast campers, uh, we get pranks and bets. We I, I don't I don't remember if this one has a parents' day. It might not. This um, one does not have a parents' day. But you know what this does have? This has the take the the clearly very handsome in good shape guy and put a glasses with a oh, tape on the nose. Spaz! I'm like, Spaz! I'm like I'm like this. This he's dude is obviously so, the best looking guy he's, in camp. He's, he's so a fucking punk. <laughs> he's so good looking and in such good shape, and he has so glasses handsome. On. But they like, put tape on those glasses, which means he's a spaz, oh and they call gosh. him spaz. And you certainly couldn't do that. Uh, call some on spaz uh, no. these days nope but we did get a I rival thought, rival camp because of camp mohawk we get the big race 
Um, the, ironically, there are no insensitive depictions of First Nation peoples. If you had thought of any of the movie on this list, which one's going to mock Native <laughs> Americans? It would have been a meatball. Not even a passing reference to them. No, uh, no. And we do get summer love. Uh, the one thing that I will give, this is a very low bar, Kevin, but I will give credit where credit is due. When Spaz and, um, well, to the uh, what's his buddy's name? The the heavy set kid, Spaz, and um, he's got a nickname too. I think it might that, be just his last name. Was it Crockett? Is that no? Whatever. I, I've, oh, <laughs> Fink is Fink the big guy. Fink, 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 yeah. Fink. Yes, Spaz and Fink. There, you see the kid eat a lot. Mm-hmm. But even in the circles with the other camp counselors, when they tease him or they're like, oh, Fink, it's never about his weight. It's I always about. They do, I thought they do make fun of his weight. I don't you think sure? so. No, mm, because there there's the, there's the food man. eating contest. Right. The hot and they dog. Sell it, yeah, the hot dog eating contest. They celebrate. Mm. They're like, okay, open that stomach of yours. Eat, yeah. eat, eat. <laughs> um, and when they're at the campfire and they're telling a story about the bloody hook or whatever, and he says something stupid. It's it's more about he's kind of uh, he's lecherous, you know, and he's like he's the one who wants to do the panty raid or sneak in the girl's cabin or whatever. I yeah. like the fact that they turn the tables on him mm-hmm. and and Spaz. I thought that was good. Uh, I I I like the fact that even though Spaz and him are the nerds, they're still included. They're still like a right. part of the gang. They're not sure like they're not bullied by their own. Because the whole camp That's is a true. camp of meatballs, right? Like, when which they, is unusual. Yeah, what do they? They have them go play sports or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah like they give them, they include them. They have them do things. It's not you know, and, and they're a part of the the big triathlon or whatever you want to call that. A hundred percent, and they cheer for him. Yeah, yeah, and everybody everybody gets their moment. And so but it's that's like, kind of the thing with the that I've learned in summer camp movies, and we'll touch upon it later. But it's like it seems to me, and I don't think this is a real life scenario, but these movies paint it like only the outcasts go to summer camp. Like they're all outcasts. It seems like that just seems to be what they paint is like, for some reason, if you go to summer camp, you are, I don't know. No, If you go to the wrong summer camp, maybe that's right. Cause like you got the jocks at camp Mohawk yes, or whatnot. Correct. But, 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 but like, if you go to this, certainly yes. like, yeah, this is the one for the outcasts. And so you're right. Slo- Every, it, like, it, yeah, it's slobs versus snobs. Right. So, and so the meatballs, the, the, this is the camp slob of the camp. meatballls. Right. Got yeah, it. it's slob camp. <laughs> so it's just different levels to where you've got Spaz and Fink are, are maybe on the lower rung of the meatballs, but they're all outcasts. Yes. So it's correct. Yeah. That's what I mean by the warmth of it, though, because it's very easy for a film in 1979 to have underage boobs in it i mean literally full frontal underage girls naked or women portraying underage girls panty raids where spaz and fink are bullied and shamed because you you fucking nerd you were good all this sort of shit i i I guess what i'm saying is meatballs may not stay completely above the line but it could have been way worse, and I'm giving it points for how mean and derogatory and sexist and misogynistic it isn't. <laughs> right. Because it could be that, so much worse. So It could the, have been Porky's, or it could have been Porky's, you know? That's what I'm saying. Like, this movie is as difficult as it is to watch at times. It 
it could possibly still exist. Now, it, it may be slim these days, but I don't think a movie like Porky's can exist. Like that just correct can't possibly. I'm not exist. sure American Pie can exist, right? Well, I'm right. Like, I mean, yeah. American Pie, you think that's 99 or whatever, 98, 99, but yeah. it seems yeah. so recent, but you're right. So, I mean, a movie like Animal House pushes it sometimes. Oh, yeah. It, Revenge it, of, okay, great, better example. Revenge, Revenge of the, the Nerds. Nerds. Yes, exactly. That, you can't do any can't. of that now. No. And the thing about Revenge of the Nerds is it's kind of, even though they have the speech at the end, the tone throughout the entirety of the movie is that it the movie itself is making fun of the main characters who are the, the nerds, nerds. Right, right. And meatballs doesn't make fun of the meatballs. You're laughing with them, not at them. That's true. They, they you are want to cool be guys. a meatball. It, yeah, it, it, it is. It's. I mean, that's like yeah. the Animal House. It's the. You want to be with the slobs, obviously. Yes. You don't want to be with the snobs, and so you're yeah. right. I from that perspective, I mean. Again, it doesn't really change my overall experience, but you yeah. have enlightened me a bit. Uh, you know, I am enlightened now. I don't know if you, <laughs> that's you, where we go. So <laughs> it, now, it does. Let's test your enlightenment. Have you changed your thoughts about Super Mario Brothers movie? Not a chance. Ah, you son of a bitch! I, you might have slipped a few rings. We're gonna have to clean your thetans out. Um, <laughs> you're gonna have to be audited heavily. Oh, uh, no. I'm not saying this is a good movie. I, well, I think. This movie has problematic elements to it. It's not as problematic as you think it would be. There is a, some heart to it. Yes. Its biggest failing is that it's not funny. Yeah. I, that, and that's <laughs> it's an why, unfunny comedy. But, and that is why, I, like I said, I found myself bored. It, it's really not that entertaining of a movie. No. So I can, I can appreciate the heart of it, especially after you've gone to bat for it, more than I can the comedy of the film because it isn't very I, yeah, funny. Do, no. and, and this is, I mean, this is very early Ivan Reitman, right? So you're looking at his film, filmography like he had done... Cannibal Girls... A, <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, you know, I mean, you're talking about this is before Stripes, before Ghostbusters. You're talking like this is one of his early, early movies. Mm -hmm. And I don't feel like he had quite honed things in because clearly, like when you go even to Stripes, that feels like a whole different yes. yeah. get, ball game. This is these guys. This is Ivan Reitman as a small time Canadian director who'd worked mostly in horror exploitation movies, trying to get his foot in the door in Hollywood. Yeah. And what's going to sell? It's it's like no different today when somebody goes out and they make, you know, an $8 million horror movie or something. Sure. Like, did they want to make a horror movie or is that easier to sell? At this era, because of um, uh, Animal House, sex comedies were selling. Like right. wildfire. And, I mean, clearly this got his foot in the door and yep. the box office and this thing. By the way, you talked about this thing making $70 million. Adjusted for inflation, that is nearly $300 million <laughs> today. That is so much money. Yeah, right. Oh, it's insane. Yeah, it, it's it's this, this thing movie that we watch. This movie, imagine yeah, this coming out today. This hit. movie makes three hundred million dollars in today's money. It's mind blowing. Massive, massive hit. Um, I give this thing a seven out of ten. It's my number two for the week. <laughs> oh, oh! I know it's my. gonna be way lower for you. Seven out of ten. Number two for the week. Well, prepare to be surprised. This movie is a 6.0 for me. Okay, it is no, my okay. fourth ranking film that of right. the that feels, conversation. That feels right, <laughs> that feels right coming from you. <laughs> oh All right. my gosh. Let's go one year later. 
to Little Darlings, which currently has a 67% on Rotten Tomatoes. This summer, do something special, something you've never done before. Angel versus Ferris. Whoever catches a guy first, wins. Tatum O'Neill. Got great eyes, Mr. Callahan. Christy McNichol. I'm not a woman, Randy. In the motion picture that suddenly grows up. Little Darlings, don't let the title fool you. Rated R. Little Darlings was directed by Ronald F. Maxwell. It was written by Kim Peck and Darlene Young, I think. Triumphant Return of Matt Dillon, Lassie and Something About Mary. It was released March 27th, March 21st, rather, 1980. And a budget of $53 million, it made $34.3 million. So about half oh my. of what Meatballs did. Um, this movie is based on a book, same title, Little Darlings. Uh, synopsis, an an all-girls camp places bets on two gals from opposite sides of the tracks losing their virginity. My synopsis is, this is the Cuties of 1980, sponsored by Budweiser. Okay, let's start here. Kids are stupid. <laughs> because the premise of this movie is who can have penetrative heterosexual sex first at an all-girls camp. <laughs> I... That my my first question. Okay, when I read the synopsis yeah, of this movie, yeah. I want to. I have never seen this movie. I had never heard of this movie before. Okay, I read the synopsis, and right there, I wanted to stop, and then I said, "No, I must binge movies, so I must continue." <laughs> and right. then I'm like, "Are they going to girls' summer camp? What?" Yep. <laughs> and and so then I'm left with the question: Well, who's there to try to place this bet with? Oh, the count, the adult counselors. The not, the <laughs> adult, very grown man of all people, Armand Asante, Armand, Armand Asante, who, who never looked less than forty years old 40, a day in his well, life. Well, and I believe he was, <laughs> I believe he was thirty filming this. He looks forty, and yes. he says something like, "When you're 40. so I'm like, he's basically supposed to be forty in this movie. Well, he, yeah, he says, she says, if I was 21, would you feel different about me? He's like, I have a feeling I would. And, and I was like, he, wait a minute. And yeah. he alludes that he is 40 and she is yes. 15 years old. Yes. And the I, actress playing her is 15 years old. This is a very, if I was uncomfortable during meatballs, let me tell you, buddy, this was a nonstop trip to uncomfortableville. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's start with some contextualization. I think the I believe the person who wrote the book is a female. Okay, um, I bet money that this is the first American teen sex, quote unquote, comedy. This is this is to me much more of a drama, if not. You, I guess you could make the argument dramedy, but it feels much more of like a teen drama. Than I else. And, and I feel like th what they're trying to do the the message they're trying to deliver is a very good one i think that what this movie has to say Bingo. is a very good message Bingo. and it's important to talk about these things it's important for and, and obviously you have to discover these things at some point i don't have any problem with the message and i know kids are gonna say these type of things and try to do these type of things whatever yep. but they handled it in a very uncomfortable manner where I think that they could have approached these subjects um, if it were all people of the same age and they're all kids. That makes it feel a little bit more comfortable. Yes. And bringing adults into the component as a component of this very uh, uncomfortable topic, bringing adults into that is a mistake to me. And I don't think they should have gone there at all. 
I don't know how faithful of an adaptation this is to the book. And obviously books can deal in more complexities than movies can because sure. of length and whatnot. Um, again, the, like you said, the positive of it is we don't, especially in 1980, you weren't getting sex comedies from the primary perspective of female characters, period. Yeah. You still don't get very many movies from female perspective. And, and I, I am willing to 100% um, I, I could believe that there. I think fifteen-year-old girls could go. Oh, my teacher's dreamy. All that stuff. I. It's sure, not even. Sure. It's not even the fact that they might think that way or say that. I mean, kids are kids, and you see in movies and TV and whatever, you see all sorts of things in media where it's like, oh, Mister Cunningham or whatever. You know, oh, they're dreamy yeah. or whatever. Oh, Mister Armand Desanti. Yeah, but Mister <laughs> Armand Desanti needs to pump the brakes and be the voice 100%. of reason. And you can't 100%. just pump the brakes and be like. Oh no, I'm sorry. Like you can't say, "Oh no," but if you were 21, like that is skeezy. Armando Santi needs to be like giving her the cold shoulder and brushing her off, and then we could go, "Okay, 15 year olds do what they do, but adults are the voice of reason." But man, he is a creeper of the highest order. Well, I want to get to him because there's a lot to unpack there. Um, but first, I mean, he is in. He knows they're 15, and he is into it. <laughs> We'll get there. We'll get there. I, this is a tricky one because it's like for every positive, there's an equal and opposite negative to this movie. Yeah. I think this may be the only movie that sexualizes like, especially for like the, the shots of, of objectification or of Matt Dillon's ass. <laughs> yeah, there is there is a lot of that certainly. Right? And so it's an interest it's not just a movie it's about girls trying to lose their virginity. It's a movie that's trying based on a book that is trying to come at sexuality from a young female perspective with all of the errors and immaturities and misunderstandings that that anybody has when they're young. And uh, you could say it's a kind of a sex positive movie. It is like, like you were saying, like all of the core stuff of what I think, again, the heart of this story is, yeah, I think is really progressive and interesting. I think that you have, uh, McNichol and O'Neill, Tatum O'Neill and Kristen McNichol who, and Kristen McNichol has to carry this movie on her fucking back at times. Like they're yeah. putting so much on this young woman to carry the emotional core of this movie. Christy McNichol plays a girl who uh, basically has a loose mom who, and even there again, what's interesting is the commentary about her mom's looseness is not the number of people her mom is having sex with. It's not shaming her, slut shaming her. It is the implication that she's running around with losers instead of being a mother to her daughter. Yeah. So Kristen McNichol has been left to essentially raise herself. And so she has all of these, both girls really are almost orphaned. They're almost abandoned because um, Tatum O'Neill's parents are super wealthy. And they're just. The mother left sort of, them. The mother left. So she doesn't go, have that yes. figure in her life. And the dad's a busy businessman. Absentee parents, you mm -hmm. know, she's, yeah. And both these kids are coming into camp. Opposite sides of the tracks, but hurting and really trying really hard to add all of these affectations of maturity, which is what you do when you're young. Mm 
and you they're, try they're to pretend that you're, that you're older stuff. than you are. And they're dealing with the same they're, stuff. They're dealing with the same things. And they're, like you said, they're doing it alone. They're having to figure it out without a lot of guidance. So no, I, I do appreciate that. And where the movie ends up landing, I think, it, it, again, is a very good message. It ends up in the right place. But the way they get there, and it, it really has a lot to do with the Armand Asante character. Yep. I, I think that they yep. did a huge misservice by having him be there and so interested and so into it that it just it kind of you're like you said it, it negates a lot of the positives this movie had to say because i think that this is an important what it's doing is important uh you know young women need films that they can relate to and uh to as they're going through things see other people and they say oh i went through the same thing or i'm going through the same thing like i think it's really important to have this and have these conversations but to do it in a way to where it turns it into kind of the sex comedy aspect it it what did a disservice to the message that it's trying to deliver yeah because the, the heart of the movie i mean it's kind of complicated but the heart of the movie you could say sort of boils down to that sex is complicated yeah and sex has consequences that's basically what it is but it's not anti-sex it's not like an abstinence movie where it's like trying to scare girls straight in a knot embracing their sexuality it's not doing that but where it really fun where it really to me really 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 fumbles is you've got 16 uh uh christian uh tatum o'neill 16 i think christian mcnichol was like 17 or 15 or 17 uh when she made this movie so they are teen girls you got cynthia nixon and i think her first movie who's looks to be like 10 years old who she yeah. plays sunshine uh, she may be my favorite character in the movie. She may be the closest thing to a funny character the movie has. Now, she's the one that's drugging people throughout the film? Well, with ginseng, yes. She's the one giving <laughs> aphrodisiacs. She's a hippie kid, flower child, right. who's giving aphrodisiacs to everybody around her. Or what and she I was believes just like, is an aphrodisiac, yes. Yeah, and I get that it's like a hippie. It's more of a holistic type thing. But still, yeah. when I see, like, drink this, and it's like, that is such a weird <laughs> thing to watch to the modern lens of she is, whether it is holistic or not, yes. she's drugging these different drinks and giving yes. them to people. And I just don't think that plays as funny as probably in the early 80s, late 70s. It's like, oh, she's, you know, flower power and oh, drink this. But today you're like, she's trying to, you know, she's trying to get them to hook up. And they're yes. essentially it. It's very close to but a the, date the, rape situation. It is. But the wink and the nod of this movie is that these girls don't really know what they're doing or what they're talking about. Right. The humor is supposed to derive from you got a group of 15-year-old girls who are all pretending to be 22 and all right. pretending to be worldly, mature, sex in the sex in the city. <laughs> yeah. they, they all, but, they're all pretending that they've had sex and they're grown correct. up. And, and they know and, what it's all about. But they're really still kids. That yeah. is, yeah, and so we're supposed to be as adults looking at this and kind of laughing at their naivete and the malapropisms and the stuff that they are getting wrong about sex and sexuality and like, ha, ha, ha. And, and then also doing that late 70s, early 80s thing where it's like, and on top of that, or at least underneath that, no pun intended, uh, it's going to be this emotionally gutting drama about uh, these or two girls who are basically orphaned and who feel completely alone. And I And I think like, one of the most effective scenes is that when McNichols character eventually does sleep with Matt Dillon under false pretenses, because he doesn't know she's a virgin. Right. 
And because she's portraying herself as like, oh, yeah, like, like, it's no big deal. It's just a biological function. Like, what's the big deal? I don't care. I don't have feelings for anybody because she's supposed to be like street tough or whatever. Uh, and she is absolutely like she just she's like um, she's like, oh, God, I'm just so lonesome. Yeah. I just feel so alone afterwards. And she's just like sobbing. And you're just like, Jesus Christ. Now, because of the later year sexuality of Kristen McNichol, who eventually came out and uh, uh, Tatum O'Neill, who has never officially come out, but does date women as well as men, but does not identify under any particular label. People have read this as a LGBTQ story because yeah, when, when uh, McNichol's character doesn't want to answer the virgin question, the, main mean girl uh cinder is like what are you a lezzy right yeah i don't know people have interpreted mcnichols character because she's kind of tomboyish as maybe someone who especially after she has sex who's left her completely empty if i don't know that the movie is thinking of her as in terms of being a same-sex attracted person i don't gather that I think it's more so the scene. And I do think it's a pretty good line when Matt Dillon eventually learns, like, first of all, he was manipulated. It was a bet. Uh, She was a virgin. She didn't know what the heck she was doing. It wasn't just a random hookup from two experienced people. And he feels awful, which is again, a a sentiment, uh, a good part of this movie. Right. uh, Where it goes above the line. He's only really a jerk when she's roping him around where he's like, what are we doing here? He doesn't understand. He doesn't understand. She's like, she's, she's leading him on. I mean, she, she is, there's no way to misinterpret that. And she takes him, you know, off to do it. And then he's getting undressed and she's standing there not. And he's like, okay, well, what is this? What are you doing? And then she's like, no, don't go. And, And he's just like, I don't, he has no idea what to do in that situation. And eventually she does, you know, they do have sex. And then afterwards there's that whole thing where he doesn't realize that she's a virgin. He didn't realize how big of a deal this was. And he was very confused. And then, like you said, he comforts her and and genuinely cares. And it was, it was an interesting way to look at this because this character normally in these movies would be the bad guy. He would be the guy that takes her virginity and then leaves the next day. It was a big deal to her and he doesn't care and he's off doing his thing. And uh, so that was also another, I think that was an interesting way that they painted that relationship. Well, then he gets upset because he's like, well, wait a minute, this is all just a bet. You were just exploiting me basically to try to win a bet. He comes yeah. back to to actually once once that happens and he understands and everything and they yep. say okay well maybe this could be more and he comes to see that's where I'm he, getting at yeah yeah when he comes back to her and he's like but I've 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 grown to actually care about you let's just start over let's just yeah. like get to know each other and she won't see him and, and they she, say she's not going to see you this was just a, a bet you've been had yeah but I'm talking about even after that he's yeah. like let's just go back to the beginning da 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 da. And her response to him is, we can't. There's nothing left because we started in the middle. Mm. And her delivery of that line and the implication of that line, which is, we, we've, we've crossed this Rubicon where we've, we've gone through all of these, the, the, the later stages of a relationship, like heartbreak and breakup and all this stuff, before we even, ha- and sex. Before we even had a relationship, right? Before we even knew each other, so we can't go back and try to make this into a relationship, and 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 then she's in tears about it because she maybe has developed feelings for him too, and so that's why when I see that scene plays out in certain things and the way she kind of dear Johns him a little bit and kisses him and it's like she's she wishes 
She wishes she could do the summer over again. They could have just gotten to know each other because there is that sense that they would have genuinely liked each other and that she wishes she hadn't participated in this stupid bet. It is. It's such a... Well, I mean, the premise of this movie, and we should at least say for people that have never seen and will never see this movie, they go to this summer camp and, you know, they could have just had a nice summer. They would have probably... She would have met Matt Dillon out doing her thing, stealing school buses or whatever. They could have had a relationship. (laughs) But the whole thing hinges on some some girl did a commercial and so she thinks that she's hot stuff and she has a $100 royalty check. And she's like, I bet my royalty check that you that you won't have sex before this other girl and they pin they pit the two girls from the different different sides of the tracks against each other yeah and and the whole camp like, joins in on the bet yeah right and they just cave to that that peer pressure which again i mean i do think that happens so i i it's it's a bit far-fetched but i do agree that it's a commentary on peer pressure and everything but man the whole premise does hinge on the fact that they would take this insane insane bet and um yeah i don't know it's just it's such a stupid thing that this girl does to them well well and and so here's what i think i think when it comes to the kristen mcnichol side of the story and her character I think that's the strongest stuff in the movie because I think Kristen McNichol is doing some really incredible acting for like a 15 year old kid. Yeah. She's given a lot of emotional heaviness. Yes. You, you feel, you you feel the, the weight that she carries. You feel the weight of this performance really. Yes. She, she is doing good work and Tatum O'Neill isn't necessarily bad or anything, but she just kind of doesn't, do much she's just, she's given the lighter material because yeah. the way that they play that is like she's got like a school school girl crush on this older guy but her version of it rather than her pretending like you know uh, uh Kristen Nichols character pretends to be immature by like chain smoking cigarettes and you know uh, you know cussing and like whatever sort of low rent you know street kid sort of stuff street punk yeah. sort of stuff and on top of that like her whole attitude is like sex is no big deal sex is just you know it's just biological. There's no emotions behind it because her old character is completely cut off from her feelings about her mom and her life. Like nothing bothers me, right? She's got a real yeah. tough exterior. McNichols uh, or uh, uh, O'Neill's character, Tatum O'Neill's character, Ferris, is written as because she's a rich kid and she's grown in luxury, grown up in luxury and comfort and spoiled and whatnot, even though she's not like, she's spoiled materially, but not emotionally, if that makes sense. The way she pretends to be mature is by like reading the classics, romance literature. You Romeo know, and Juliet, and isn't it romance? Yeah, Romeo and Juliet. She has a faux adult view of what romance is. So right. she's convincing herself and trying to convince Gary, who is Armand DeSanti, that they're star-crossed lovers and that the <laughs> age gap and age difference is just, you know, it's no different than Romeo and Juliet or whatever. That, that is inherently just lighter material right. it's just goofier lighter more frivolous stuff than like an orphan street girl whose mom is bellied up at a bar hooking up with bozos instead of being a loving attentive mother who goes to a camp full of kids who are disproportionately more wealthy than her who feels completely and utterly alone and is shamed because she's a virgin and feels compelled to have to give that up before she's ready to try to fit in and for this false sense of being mature while at the same time dealing with the fear of becoming her mother. It's like 
one of them's got some something to work with, right. and the other one is like, I w- I'm going to try to get Armand Asante to drink champagne with me in his room. Now, where the <laughs> really, really drops the ball, more than anything else, to me, is, I don't know if this there was more filmed, and they were like, oh, that's too heavy or too icky, and they cut it. There is two quick references, at seemingly out of nowhere, where at some point... Because Ferris lies and says that she slept with Mr. Gallahan, mm. Gary, Armand Asante, and it goes to the camp. And when she shows up, it, the way we find out that it has spread, this rumor yeah, has gotten out. We never see it, but they never see it. He just and she he shows just up says, in the pouring oh, rain yeah. <laughs> at his cabin, and, and he he's mad shit faced. He's drunk. Yeah, and he's yelling at her. He's like, "I thought you were nice." You got me in trouble, you little jerk. You know, and she's and 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 then but she this is nineteen eighties trouble where he's still there, right? Like he's still there. Is, he's <laughs> there. What 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 kind of trouble did he get in? He's I mean, still there, and he checks her in at the end, and, and, yeah. and they make a quick thing at the end while yeah. he's going like helping her check in on the bus to go home. Of and like, oh, like, and and by the way, thanks for telling everybody we didn't have sex. Yeah, and, and then she kisses like, him. You're quite the young lady. Where I'm just like, did all that other stuff happen? Like, this is so weird. It's absolutely bizarre. It we is. know it's, that she lies and right. tells the girls. We see that part. She yeah. she wants to win the bet, and so she lies. It's like, yeah, I hooked up with Gary, Mr. Gary, and all the girls are like, oh. And the interesting turnabout is that the girl who actually lost her virginity, uh, who is Chris McNichol, lies and says that she didn't. Uh, and I didn't, I couldn't I, go, th- I, I, it didn't work out. I think that that is very, very interesting to what they set yes. up there. I think that, you know, it, it, the way that they both handle it and the way that they both lie about the opposite things, like there's some really interesting stuff here. And, and in the end, when she's like, don't tell them, like, just keep it the way it is. And I, you know, I, I think there's a lot to explore there. It's just the, the Gary stuff is, is weird. It, it's, it's it's sexual more. It's sexual mores from a bygone era that don't make any sense anymore. No, and and the thing is, there is a really interesting movie here where she gets Gary in trouble, and now she has to deal with the guilt of getting him fired, getting him in jail. Getting there's there's um there's an interesting movie where there's consequences here. And there are consequences that Gary has to pay, and there's consequences that Tatum O'Neill's character has to live with and struggle with. I, I think that's interesting if they had gone that route. But the way that they write it off, and they don't even f- show us scenes to address it, where he's just like the next day, like thanks for telling everyone. Everyone knows now. Like we didn't, we didn't see the word spread. We didn't see it get back to other counselors. We just know that she told the girls, and then all of a sudden he's mad at her. But then again, like you said, he's still working there. He's still at the end getting people on the buses. So the way that they brush it off does a disservice to the story and to the characters and what they've been yes. through, I think, because you're just left being like, what was this? What what actually happened here with, with him and, and them? So I don't know. It's It was weird. The other thing is they, they it's an 80s, late 70s, early 80s thing that just it's a trope from that era that bothers me. And it's the trope of, well, these girls are from the opposite sides of the tracks and blah, 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 blah. I think, and I don't want to rewrite this woman's book, but I think it actually would have been better if rather than them being enemies, 
at the beginning of the story. That's the other yeah. thing. Like these two girls hate each other at the beginning. They get into a fight, blah, 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 blah. I think it would have made more sense that they've been going to the summer camp for year after year after year since they were little kids. Hmm. And cause when you're a little kid, when you're a little kid, kids are just friends with kids. If you ever, if you ever take your kid to a playground when they're, especially when sure. they're really young, yeah. they just make instant friends with people. There's not about race or class or anything else. Right. Just right. kids connect with kids. Sure. I think it would have been interesting as, because this almost feels like, and we're dealing with the loss of virginity, the AKA, you know, the idea of, the loss of innocence. I'm not saying you want to right. frame it that growing way. Up. That's, right. Yeah. Growing up maturation, fake maturity versus like well, facing the, real consequences for the first time. Do you see this in whether it's a movie like this, which again, I haven't seen many. I don't think many existed, especially not at this time, or you see it as a character in a different movie where the girl is becoming a woman. Like this yes. is a transition during yep. this age, which is again, it's a coming that, of age story. Yeah. yeah and everyone goes yeah. through it. And so again, I think it's an interesting topic it's an important topic especially for people going through that to be able to relate to again but it has to be handled well wouldn't have played better though if this is a coming of age story about two girls who've been friends but they only have because they're from different parts of the world they only see each other at camp and every year they're best friends and but now because they're starting to grow up the differences between them differences of class and background are starting to become more obvious Mm-hmm. And so the peer pressure they feel is a response to the beginning of their relationship seemingly fracturing. And what if the consequence of all of this bet shenanigans and all this sort of stuff is they actually squandered chasing boys the last summer they had together because they're aging out of the camp and they're not going to see each other probably ever again, because she's going to go back to the, the zip code or the private school she goes to, and she's going to go back to the public school she goes to in an opposite part of the state or wherever they live. And these two kids, the, these two girls, um, you know, because th- one of the things that happens is as girls mature, culturally society pits them against each other. You see that all the time of like, sure. It it we're, society is constantly pitting women against women. So I think it would have been a more interesting concept if their coming of age was them feeling this social pressure that's now pitting them against each other because they're different. A their differences are more obvious, and B, um, you know, and it could have been another thing too, where you know, uh, you know, Tatum O'Neill's character shows up at camp and she's got this air about her of like you know, oh, I'm mature now and I'm grown up and da 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 Whereas Christian McNichols, or vice versa, where Christian McNichols' character still wants it to be like the way that it was. Right. Like, I just, I think there needed to be a different dynamic. The fact that these are two strangers who never met, who feel compelled to hate each other and feel compelled to compete against each other. Who yeah. At the end, you're just like, oh, we're best friends. Well, yeah, I think that, that, I think the that, end line too would have been such a better payoff if they had yeah. been best friends and we see the fracture of their relationship. They reconcile at the end of the summer. And she drops that line of like, finally, the two parents meet. They've been going to camp for each, with each yeah. other for 10 years. And finally, they can't, the two parents meet. The girls are reconciled. And like, this is my best friend. That would have yeah. been such a better payoff. It would have been way better because that line at the end it falls flat because so it's, flat. It's, it's so rushed and they hate each other the whole time. And I'm not saying you can't hate each other and then become friends, but it does that thing where they just wrap it up too neatly at the end. Another movie yep. that does this, and I, this is, I mean, this is so out of left field. 
maybe not completely, but this is going to sound crazy, but have you seen the movie Clueless? Oh, yeah. They fight the entire movie, and the last scene of the movie is them like, oh, it's okay, and then the movie ends. And you're like, (laughs) what? It's so stupid. Yeah. They they it's yeah. like they don't know how they're like we have to end the movie and we did this whole thing and we never undid it. So they're just like, "No, it's okay." And, and and they did the same thing in this movie where they hate each other the whole time and they never really show anything of growth until they have that one conversation. They're like, "Oh crap, like you lied and you really did it and you lied and you didn't." Okay. And then at the end, this is my best friend. Like I didn't believe that. I mean, yeah, they but shared I, I, yeah. How much more meaningful is that experience, though, of like, we both lied if they have had a close friendship in previous yeah. years at the said camp? It's just it would have paid off so much more. I wish they, I would have believed they were best friends where I bingo, don't I believe bingo, I, I bingo. believe that. Yeah, they went through kind of a crazy thing and they lied about their experience so they can relate in that way, even though they had different yeah. experiences. But I mean, I just didn't see best friend status there. I didn't I didn't nope. get that. I think there's I think there's a really good 2023 movie where they have a romantic relationship in the end and they're trying to discover that they're interesting they're they're chasing these guys to win this bet and they realize they're like well we don't want guys at all but they have to put on interesting charade to to try to be accepted by their peers i think there's a really interesting story in there somewhere where they could have went that direction and it would have been better than exploring the whole gary thing and the matt dylan thing but anyway the point is gary's a creep and you know (laughs) i you said we were going to get into this and we didn't yet and it has to be addressed i don't think he's a he's not initially played as a creep he's initially played as like oh isn't it cute this little girl kind of has a crush on me i'm just gonna try to teach her to swim and ignore all of her very obvious little girl flirtations but then it takes a week it takes a weird turn at some point where you're right he should be don't come to my cabin. Don't come in. Yes. Like, not invite her in. Don't show me your fucking nightgown. He likes the attention. I'm telling you right now, the way that he d- takes her advances is not immediately dismissing them. He is enamored with it. And and she's 15. And it, it, to say like, oh, if you were 21, again, this that's guy, where it goes. That's where you're right. Because that, that comes later in the movie. Yeah. And that's where I was like, oh, fuck. That's just that's unacceptable across the board and that and, and the thing is it's not that line of like well you know cause she's like well if i were 21 blah 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 and because she kisses him after that and he's like yeah I, I think i might or whatever i i suspect i would that's supposed to be charming that's supposed to be innocent yeah. and charming and like oh there is attraction between us but you're just not old enough and i'm like no nah, oh. you can't go there fucking at all at all but because it's not a 15 year old and an 18 year old which could be creepy in of itself no, he's like 40 he's 40 he, he is at minimum 30 that yes armand asante was around 30 when he yep. filmed it but again the lines in the movie that either it's a joke or whatever but they say something about oh when you're 40 so to me it was insinuating he's 40 so whatever he's 30 or 40 she's 15 and he shouldn't be anywhere near that and he she comes well later i on think the movie. i think the joke there not the joke but i think what it is is i'm 15 in 10 years i'll be 25 you're 30 in 10 years you'll be 40 then we can be together that's what i think they're getting at but okay, he's still 30 well, years old he's 30 he's twice her age he's an adult and an he adult. should be the voice of reason and if they want to play it up for laughs or if they want to make it a, a 
comedy, a comedic situation or whatever, then he needs to be more like, oh, I got to get out of here rather than be like fumbling. Oh, I've got apples. And like, he's, he's like, he's not removing himself from the situation at all. When he's she like, shows up in her nightgown and is like, oh, I want to drink some wine and blah, blah, blah. The night that she lies to them and says that they hooked up. Yeah. He sits down on the couch next to her and puts his arm around her and is like, he's like trying to, he's like, well, you know, you're too old, like you're too young and you don't really, when you're, when you're finally old enough to give consent, basically, you'll see me as nothing but an old man. So like you're, you're eventually going to grow up and you're going to, but it's like, you can have this conversation in broad daylight without putting your arm around her when there's alcohol at a couch at night when she's in her nightgown. Like the spirit of what you're saying of like, hey, I'm an old man and one day you're, this is a school girl crush and one day you're going to see I'm a really old man and you're not, you're going to wonder how you could ever have had a crush on me and just trying to brush it off. That should have come way earlier in broad freaking daylight and like, hey, they're they're trying to have their cake and eat it too because to me, this seems like wish fulfillment is how they're planning. They've got hunky Armand Asante with his hairy chest out there being yep. all flirtatious and so i think they wanted the wish fulfillment there of like oh the hunky older guy but then they also want him to be the adult figure which i don't the think the voice of reason yeah and it's yeah. like they they can't have it both ways he needs no. to be drawing that line in the sand from the get he needs to be the adult and he needs to be like ah this is not right or good but i'm telling you he smirks and is enjoying the attention way too much and that's where it gets awkward and it's just it's very weird and I mean, I'm willing to admit, I'm sure the the time this was made, 1980, this is 43 years ago. I'm sure that because of it being a different time, we're interpreting it very differently than maybe we would have at the time. But it's still just... You can't help know. the lens that you see stuff through, though. Yeah. I, I, what I try to do is I try to provide context that's not making excuses or justifications sure. for content. It's just simply saying, okay, I have to take a step outside of my 2023 lens, which is like, oh, Jesus, this is blah. And I have to try to see, okay, what's the writers, actors, directors intention with this? Do I believe their intention is to make him a sex offender in any way, shape or form? No, I don't. In fact, I think the movie's kind of trying to say the opposite of sort of, you know, because, but again, where it maybe could have redeemed the story is what are the consequences of him not, uh, not having appropriate boundaries? Does he get in trouble? No, it's just completely fucking glossed over. That's the point. If they're going to do this, if they were going to make it out like um, that, it was a little creepy and he shouldn't have been as into it as he was. And even if they didn't do anything and then she lies, let's see some consequences. Let's show what happens. And, and yeah, that would have been more interesting. So yeah, it was weird. The movie is kind of like you said, it's 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 kind of aimless and does some things that like it wants to be the the sex comedy type movie, but then also deal with these very real emotions and sub and important subject matters. And they kind of canceled each other out to where I wish this movie could have been um fulfilled its potential to what yes. you know this could yeah. be like a timeless movie and i'm sure for people of a certain age and if they saw it at a certain time in their life i mean it may be important to them and yeah. and have delivered right. the goods to them at that time but um to me this doesn't feel like an all-timer like where 
you know, no. I, if, if I had a daughter, I wouldn't show them this and be like, this is <laughs> no. such a, you know what I mean? It, 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 no, it, yeah. it fails. A sensitive portrayal of female sexuality and coming of age. Yeah. No. Here's yeah. the thing. I'm with you, though. Uh, I'd never seen this one before. I knew it by reputation, knew it by name. I wanted this to be a hidden gem. I wanted this to be, hey, here's your two great young actresses, actors who are going to deliver great performances. And again, there's nothing wrong with the performances, really, by anybody. But for every semi-flash of brilliance you have in this movie, there are maybe equal or twice as many of like, ooh, boy, we just fumbled the ball and didn't really handle that correctly at all. Mm -hmm. So it really detracts from it. I do think, on a lighter note, there's something ironic about the movie, which is that when Kristen May Nichol is dealing with the after effect of, uh, with, um, after sleeping with uh, Dylan, Matt Dylan's character, and Matt Dylan, Cinder ends up swooping in and mean girling her and stealing her guy and whatever for very briefly, which also goes nowhere. Uh, she's, she's watching the camp perform the Pirates of Penzance. Two years later, she would be notorious for starring in an adaptation of the Pirates of Penzance, the pirate <laughs> movie, which is one of the biggest flops of the 1980s. That's interesting. Horrible movie. Uh, as far as tropes go, uh, you've got the bus pickup. We got that scene. Um, we don't parents day. We, we do have parents, parents come day. And visit. Yeah. Yep. We have the bet, obviously, which is like pranks and bets. We do get the rival camp, which is another camp mohawk. I think there's at least mm -hmm. four camp mohawks. Well, this that's week. apparently the most common <laughs> camp name. Which is the boys' camp, which Matt Dillon's from. There's no big race. There's no insensitive portrayals of First Nation peoples. And of course, did, there is, to some extent, summer love. Did you mention breaking into the men's room to steal condoms and blow them up like balloons? No. I guess it's a prank. Yeah, yeah. No, hijinks, right? It yeah, that's hijinks. hijinks. Yeah. yeah. I did think it was kind of funny. The little girl, the bunny, who's like kind of the youngest. You yeah. know, I, she kind of does look like a little bunny. I, I did think it was sort of funny where they sneak her into the men's room to try to get condoms. And she just ends up ripping the entire condom dispenser <laughs> off the wall. That was yeah. kind of funny. Just like kicking it and trying to. I think the big thing is, I don't, I don't think, I think this is another one of those things where I doubt the book is a sex comedy book. I think the book is a sensitive portrayal of young girls coming of age. And the only way they could get it made is by trying to convince the studio to, that it was a sex comedy. To cash in on the, the yes. success of movies like Meatballs and Animal yes. House. And well, and look at the. And I think those two thing. things are at odd with this, at odds within the movie. I think this that's is a what we're drama. saying. They are. Yeah. They, yes, there is a drama in this movie that's, again, a very a coming of age, and there's a lot of important topics. So you look at the poster of this movie and the tagline it's Little Darlings, Don't Let the Title Fool You, where it's like, that's like something that would be on Problem child's poster it's just like it's trying yes. to be such an edgy like this movie isn't about what what's that good boys the movie that the yeah. Seth Rogen, like, <laughs> yeah. that's which by the way i had problems with i thought good boys was deeply problematic and offensive it is it is problematic but look at that like good boys is about the kids that it's like a hard rated r movie yes. they're cursing it's that yes anachronism of the little kids you know and it's called good boys which is the joke little right? kids this, playing with dirty butt plugs isn't it hilarious? yeah and, and this and this movie is called little darlings <clears throat> don't let the title fool you but it's not that movie they're missing you're forgetting the catchphrase angel christopher nichols character's angel and when she meets matt dylan she goes he goes what's your name and she goes angel don't let the name fool you and she says yeah. it repeatedly yeah. so they took that line which i guess it's probably from the book what i would imagine 
And they're like, oh, that'd be a great tagline. Little darlings, you know, whatever. Yeah, but they're but. not that bad. Okay. So no. Angel takes, steals a bus, which, yeah, I mean, that's pretty, that is definitely a bit naughty, but like, they're not bad kids. They're okay. She smokes. No. I guess they're trying to say like, oh, that's so bad. But like, they're not sneaking around getting in a knife fights. <laughs> no, like, they're, they're just, they're not that bad. They're, they're 15-year-old kids. Yeah, yeah, they're 50-year-old kids who are posing like they're 22. Angel's yeah. posing like she's a street punk. She's not. Yeah, That's the whole drama of the movie is that, yeah, she's, I, again, I think, honestly, I'm with you whether you deal go the same-sex attraction angle or just the platonic friendship yeah. angle of it and like, you know, chicks before dicks or whatever you do. I actually think that this is maybe ripe for a remake. I think it'd be, I think there's enough, there's enough brilliance in the drama plot of it that I think you tweak the Gary stuff, or at least you, or you go really into it and you make it a really true drama out of it. I think it's a really relatable topic. You're talking about for, I mean, this is coming of age for, I mean, for there's a male angle, there's the female angle. I mean, it doesn't matter what you, who you identify as it's yes. people grow up and it's, it's be, that gap in time between childhood and adulthood and adolescence and trying to figure all that stuff out. And I think that there's, like you said, there's a lot of subject matter here that's ripe for exploring and analyzing, but you have to handle it right. And they don't handle it right, which ultimately makes it fall flat where it could have been very effective. Yeah. hundred um, percent. This is my number three for the week. I, <laughs> I don't know what to do with you, Jason. And it's a six out of 10. And okay. Most of that's rest on the shoulders of Christine McNicholas angel, who I think does a superb job here as a kid doing heavy dramatic acting. Okay, well, this one for me is a 5.0, and it is my number five of the week. This is the worst of the week for you. It is the worst of the week for me, by far. Coming back from a lost episode I recorded with my dearly departed co-host, Pat, many moons ago, we did an entire earnest episode that was lost and never released. Rest in peace, Pat and the episode. Rest in peace, Pat, the episode, and Ernest himself. Bringing it back. I think at one point we said we were going to do this. We're finally doing it (laughs) on some other episode. Of course, I'm talking about 1987's Ernest Goes to Camp, which currently has a 62% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, hi, Vern. Your buddy Ernest has to hurry and finish packing. I'm going to camp. That's right, Vern. Your old buddy Ernest is in the new film, Ernest Goes to Camp. I play a counselor, and I teach the boys all about actual nature and stuff. But, Vern, before you go to camp, or even to see this movie, always write your name in your underwear. Here, how about giving me a hand? I'll go on, Vern. They're always that color. Ernest Goes to Camp, rated PG. Ernest Goes to Camp was directed by John Cherry. It was written by John Cherry and Coke Sams. That's a real name. It was released May 22nd, 1987. On a budget of thirty or three point five million, not thirty five million. Oh my God, what's a thirty five million dollar? <laughs> Could you imagine? Like? <laughs> I, yeah. Unbelievable. I I've seen a couple on my talk boy. They're pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> it made twenty three point five million dollars. A janitorial simpleton sells away the sacred lands of a fake Native American to the eighties greatest villain, a real estate developer. <laughs> I have a kind-hearted custodian goes to war against real estate mogul. (laughs) 
kind-hearted simpleton same thing why do we always want to be the people we marginalize the most that's a heavy question to open the earnest discussion with but wow white folks love to kill first nations peoples and stick them on reservations and systemic poverty then go you know i'm one fourth cherokee how many fake Native Americans are running around in, in America, including this son of a bitch, big <laughs> eyes, big iron eyes, Tim, or whatever the fuck his fake name is. <laughs> big iron eyes, Tim. What's his name? What's his name? Um, Hold on. Iron eyes, Cody. Thank you. Iron eyes, Cody. Iron eyes, Cody did not have a single ounce of first nations in his blood. He's an <laughs> no. Italian American with a goddamn wig. Hold on. Iron Eyes Cody, the actor yep. as Chief St. Cloud. Iron yep. Eyes Cody was an American actor of Italian descent who portrayed Native Americans. Yes! <laughs> yes! He's the famous fake Indian, oh, fake Native American. Crying with the From the crying the commercial. And he was they, born Espera Oscar de Corti. Yeah, he's an Italian American. And that uh that that Native American language that apparently is also somehow sign language that Ernest understands is gibberish. He speaks gibberish. You know, and- now that I look at the picture of him, so online there's a picture of him and Roy Rogers. And if you remove the headdress and the hair, he looks like Frank Sinatra or something. <laughs> he looks there's like Bruno the- San Martino. <laughs> huh. He looks like well, I, he looks like fucking Joey Butts. You might as well put Joey Butts in a goddamn headdress. Now, now, okay. Now, before we this this is getting very deep. Before we even analyze yes. the masterful writing of the Ernest movie, so I just I praise just God say, for John Cherry. <laughs> rest in peace himself. He just passed away in the last. He did. He, he took a guy. He took a guy. He wrote dairy commercials and turned it into a billion dollar business and got Disney to foot Disney the bill. to fund. Yeah, half yeah, the movies yeah. that they made. So yeah. not the racist ones though, because there's more. There's earnest movies that are more racist than the one with Iron Eyes Cody. Right, 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 right. So, <laughs> okay, the thing is, in movies for a long, long time, again, it doesn't make them right, but in movies, people portray different ethnicities or whatnot. It was a different time. Obviously, today this would never happen. But you now, know, wait, this- Kevin, this is a little different. This is not. Casting a white actor in a uh, First Nations Native American role. It it, it is, but it, it's not just as simple as that. Like, that's almost, it's not forgivable, but it's like, that is so blatant and so whatever, you can almost dismiss it out of hand. It, it's, it's, it's ignorant, not necessarily nefarious. Mm-hmm. And I'm not blaming the Ernest movies. This guy... Made it had a decades long career. His career was yeah by lying to people and saying I am Native American. I like he duped people of saying oh no I'm he claimed whatever ancestry he claimed knowing full goddamn well his name was Spiro Agnew <laughs> Aspro- or whatever the hell his name was. <laughs> Aspro Oscar DeCorti. Yeah. So but yeah. that's, what, that's yeah. what I'm saying. You can't. But you can't blame the film the the film and the heart of the film it there's nothing mean-spirited about this movie say it's ignorance Uh, say yeah well when it comes to his portrayal i don't know that it's mean-spirited i think it's this movie is ironically exceptionally mean-spirited towards Ernest. but 
which is brutal to sit through because I didn't come to this movie to cheer for the punk ass kids who I'll never see again in this movie. I'm no. here because Ernest got me in the door and the entire movie is Ernest being bullied by uh, a bunch of delinquents. Right. Who but are unlikable. They, they are. But at the, by the end of the movie, things turn around and we realize Ernest, Ernest is one of the most pure characters ever created in the history oh. Of film, there's brain I mean, brain damage will do that too. Yeah, <laughs> no, Ernest. Ernest is pure. I mean, he may be a simple guy, but he is kind. He has such a pure heart. He there's not a mean bone in Ernest's body, and he will do anything for anyone. He is such a good, kind, pure character. And he's a liar, though. You do know that, right? Oh, and how so? Part of the joke in every Ernest movie is that he can never admit he doesn't know something. So he constantly lies, no matter how stupid his lie is, and no matter how much, no matter, no matter, his lies always get him in situations he can't quite get himself out of. And that's where the comedy comes from. Ernest is not lying because he wants to make money and get famous as a brilliant surgeon. And he's putting people's lives at risk in that way. Like Ernest lies out of a place of wanting to help. Ernest wants to do everything for everybody. And sometimes Ernest also lies because he wants to be like a know-it-all like me. <laughs> he's a blowhard. Like that's part of his character. Is he's a bit of a blowhard, like me. Uh, to me, to me, I I think I just interpret the character a little bit differently. I don't think that anything he does comes from a, a bad place. I think he's a people pleaser. I think he'll do anything for anybody. And h- at the end of the day, in any Ernest movie, his heart is always in the right place. Sure. Have you seen? And, Ernest, I think it's Ernest Saves Christmas or Ernest Goes to Jail. Or it might even be. It might even be this one. It might be all of them actually. Yeah. Where there's always a scene in an Ernest movie where he goes, uh, it might be Ernest scared stupid. Oh, he was like, gosh, darn it. I don't understand why I just couldn't be me and just couldn't be honest. It just could like, he always has that moment where he yeah. recognizes like I screwed up. I was a buffoon. I was, I should have just owned yeah. up to the fact that I didn't know it, whatever, whatever. So he has a conscience. I'm not saying he's a bad person, but he's not pure as a driven snow and by the way he wouldn't be as interesting or as funny if he was just Ernest p christ you know like (laughs) i i do think that what he does comes from a good place he is not malicious he is not doing it for fame and fortune i mean everyone wants to be liked and i do think that's the human part of him where he sees like i want people to like me i want to help people and they appreciate that and he does things i mean you can call it selfish but he's being selfish by trying to help people even when maybe he should admit that he can't do certain things. So there's a purity to this character to where I just, I've seen, I'm sure I've seen all these movies at some point and the ones oh, that I've I seen have. the most. And Ernest goes uh, to Africa. That's your favorite. Er, no, <laughs> Ernest, Ernest scared, rides again. <laughs> Ernest scared stupid's the best. And you got to yeah. watch it every Halloween. It's a great movie with great practical effects. It's yeah. a, a great introduction for kids to see a scary movie because it is scary and it's fun and all that good yeah. stuff. Ernest saves Christmas, another classic where he's yeah. firing you know, squad. Ernest firing squad. Ernest. <laughs> and then uh, you've got Ernest goes to jail, which is a good one. Ernest goes to camp is the first, and I do think it's good. It's not as good as the others, but it's not as bad as some of the others, certainly. But then there's Slam Dunk Ernest, and Ernest goes to Africa, and they start to wear out their welcome, and and they get more insensitive. Um, Not as insensitive as you would think based on 
the title and certainly you wouldn't do it today but like there's still there's still a an ignorant kind-hearted attempt in all these movies none of it is done out of a place of malice none of it is mean-spirited again like to Ernest, yes but they're trying to make a point like you shouldn't be mean to people they're they're driving home that message and yes it does seem very mean in the moment but it's always like well, of course we shouldn't treat Ernest like this. He's amazing. He's a great person. And, and you know, they come around. Have you ever seen um, um, Ernest Goes Nude? I have never seen Ernest Goes Nude. Uh, Is that a good one? A copy. No. Well, okay. Yeah, I'll send you a copy. Okay. Uh, let's just say Slinky Dog, not too far off. <laughs> oh, there you go. Now, yeah. I mentioned Jim Varney's earlier. the real Slinky Dog. <laughs> Jim Varney. Uh, classically yeah. trained Shakespearean actor before yeah. he became an ad icon. You know, John Cherry creates this character and obviously Jim Varney develops it and it is Jim Varney. Um, you know, he makes this character, but these two oh, team 100%. up and Ernest sells everything, everything under the I sun. He, he started off as a regional Tennessee dairy ad guy and then... Those yeah, regional ads, yeah, yeah, those regional ads became so popular for the dairy. The other regional companies wanted him, and then it went to the state, and then it went to multiple states, and then before long, he was doing Pepsi, he was doing Sprite, Mountain Honda, Dew, yeah, yeah, everything, yeah, yeah. Car, car dealerships all over the place, and all that stuff. So Ernest sold everything, and he gets the attention of Disney. Apparently, yeah. what happened was they went to like a NASCAR event and Disney had their characters and then Ernest was there and Ernest was like far more popular with the kids and families than any Disney characters, which just sounds crazy. But no, if you weren't around during the time when Ernest was like big, you first of all, everything like man, it's so hard to contextualize this. The media landscape, everything moved so slowly. Sure. So imagine somebody who becomes virally famous, but very slowly, one town at a time. <laughs> right. And then you until, finally get the chance to see Ernest. Until it reaches yeah. a national groundswell. Yeah. And to where everybody in the country, and here's the thing, everybody in the country is seeing him do, before Different he things. did his big national campaigns. Yeah. Yeah, he was doing like, He's still in Tennessee and he's doing the Hey Vern commercials for your local Ford dealership. Right. Or or or, or your radio station or whatever. Yeah. Whoever would hire uh John Cherry basically to do the marketing for him. And by and people so would come into the car dealerships and say, I bought this car because Ernest sold it. hundred percent. Yeah. He he felt like a region. He felt like you didn't know it was coming from Nashville or outside or wherever he was from. You, you 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 didn't know it was coming from Knoxville or whatever. You yeah. you thought you thought this these were local commercials. You thought this guy was working there at the dealership. Correct, and correct. Yeah. This was a and, funny and, local ad with a better production value, and it and you just didn't realize it. And yeah, then he eventually got national sponsorship. Well, he talked it's like, to you. He he yeah. were He talked correct. to you into your TV and made you yeah. feel like you were directly being recommended by the Ernest to buy this drink, to buy this car. And and so it takes off so big that it gets Disney's attention and they go, we got to make movies with this guy. And uh, this is the, this is the first one. Hey, Vern. It sure is hot up here, Vern. I bet you'd like a cold, smooth mellow yellow right now, would you? Yeah, I just bet you would. You know, Vern, there's nothing like a good old cold mellow yellow when you're all hot and 
Witty. I think it sure beats that Mountain Dew. You know what that sound means in Russia, Vern? Empty. Vern, <laughs> ah, on the one hand, it seems bizarre. On the other hand, like there are people who it's just different. Like you can get TikTok famous, like genuinely TikTok famous and make a boatload of money and and whatever, whatever. But there's a really good chance that you could be one of the most famous people on TikTok and like 90% of the country doesn't know who you are. Right. You can be a super popular YouTuber who is literally raking in, you know, six, seven figures a month. And the vast majority of people don't know who you are. You just have it's this a very interesting fractured. landscape. It, like yeah. you said, yeah, it's you can be super famous in that arena, and to the people that are live in that arena, it's why things get so confusing with film Twitter, for example, right? If you yes. live on film Twitter, you think everyone's like that. But if you were to go to your local supermarket and say, "Did you know Bo is Afraid is coming out this weekend?" <laughs> Do you think how many people, yeah. how many 60 year old people shopping in their dairy aisle because, you know, they heard Ernest like that milk or something? <laughs> I, I mean, they have no idea what that is. Did you hear Kevin? A, you hear Kevin R. Brackett hates Mario? And they're like, no, I love Mario. <laughs> right. I, I contribute to it making a billion dollars. Right. I think that, it's yeah, great. exactly. That's the thing is that it doesn't yeah. matter. I, we, brought it up in the show and I'm sure I'm sure that you notice this. I'm like Rotten Tomatoes, right? The critics. People are so oh anti-critic, anti-whatever. You're talking about two to four hundred people on the yep. seven billion people Earth. That is yep. such a small fraction. You cannot pretend like that 400 people max or 500 wherever the most a movie's ever gotten reviews of you can't pretend like that is the world's uh, a consensus so you have to take that for what it's worth and that there's but when the world when the world was a much smaller place and america had a much smaller population and there were only three television stations and one was the earnest station no but earnest was on all of them yes sure it was possible for this guy through commercials yeah to become so nationally popular and eventually internationally that almost every single person in the entire country whether they knew. loved him or hated him knew who Ernest, knew who Ernest was. was they right. didn't know who Jim Varney was but yeah. they knew Ernest that level of popularity and saturation of of being that recognizable off of regional television commercials will never exist again because the no. media landscape is completely different. Well, and, and it's the attention span too. The thing that's is, also part of like it. you said, you, you've got TikToks, and, and it's amazing that people, very, very talented people are out there and it's incredible. They have an outlet to showcase their skills and everything, yeah. but you go viral and you get 200 million views. And then what? That's it. Like you're, you're not known as, Jason, the guy that did that really popular thing, like if someone recognizes you, oh, you're the guy that did the thing that one time. You're I Jason mean, P. Whirl. You're Jason P. Whirl. Uh, yeah, yeah it, it's just so weird how you can get famous, but you're not really famous. Correct. You're, Nobody's you making a doll with your sayings in it. It's a pull string and exactly. it's selling billions of of whatever. Yeah. Like there like I hate to be an old man who's like, there'll never be another one like Ernest, but there there's never gonna be another Pee Wee Herman. There's never gonna be another Pee Wee's Playhouse. There's I was, never I be was thinking Ernest. when you said the drawstring thing, I'm thinking yeah. I thought of Pee Wee first of all, the dolls that would, you know. Yeah. But there was yeah. an Ernest one too. Did you have the Ernest one? Oh, I wish I did. No. <laughs> I'm gonna have to track one down for you. I'm gonna send it oh, thank straight you. to Missouri. I do have the Pee Wee one in the box. There you go. 
Mm-hmm. Um, of all the Pee Wee movies, and I'm I'm counting not Pee Wee. Of all the Ernest movies, I'm counting the good ones, not the ones that went straight to video and they're right. deeply no. garbage. Theatrical. Uh, yeah, this is probably my least favorite. And upon revisiting it, yes, there's John Vernon. By the way, um, two things. 40 plus years ago, we knew that the greatest threat to the planet and society as a whole was real estate developers. Mm-hmm. Every movie told us from RoboCop to Ernest mm-hmm. Goes to Camp to Caddyshack 2, don't trust real estate developers. No one listened. Nobody listened. No one. Uh, speaking of no one, nobody moves when John Vernon pulls out a rifle and at point blank range starts firing and nobody moves nobody nobody's even worried for him it's it's bizarre and Ernest isn't worried it's so it's the ending it's so weird it's so hilarious I I just well he got filled with mystical powers from an Italian American who's pretending to be a Native American (laughs) that's true I mean (laughs) it is deep because you got to remember there's flashbacks and you see what like Ernest's ancestor is deal it's isn't that supposed to be his ancestor or does he just look like him what's the are you talking about the fake, uh, the other fake Native American who's going through the trials of becoming? Yeah, uh, who's Ernest? Like that's got to yeah. be his ancestor, right? Yeah, yeah. Because Ernest is one tenth Cherokee on his mother's uncle's side, or something. <laughs> Whatever. It's so stupid. <laughs> My takeaway but, from this is, I, 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 I hate to do this to you. My takeaway from this is John Cherry wrote absolute garbage scripts, and he completely and entirely depended, and he's a horrible director. He completely and entirely dependent on Jim Varney's prodigious talents to carry these movies off. If Jim Varney wasn't as, and it's almost a double-edged sword, because if Jim Varney wasn't at some level a genius, and I truly mean like a genius talent. I think so. These movies don't make money. They're not successful, et cetera, et cetera. Because he, these, yes, he's, these live and die, and die by him with Ernest, with Jim Varney's talent. No, that's what I'm saying. This And the reason people, why the later movies don't work is because you, it's not even like the same Ernest. It's you can tell he's just like Ernest rides again. Ernest, Ernest actually at that point is a cynical character because yeah. he does not have the heart for it anymore because yeah. he was so good at this that he got stuck as Ernest and he couldn't, they would never let him other than the hit Beverly Hillbillies, which by the way, he's also very good. And it's a terrible movie. He's um, good. in he is, <sighs> He's was in some bad movies, but that's yes. the thing is that he is never bad, so to speak. I think he's in bad movies, but Jim Varney and a lot of people don't know that part. Like I was saying that he's a classically trained Shakespearean actor, like a Hamlet King oh, Lear yes. type right. of actor. And yeah. he was a genius and he got typecast. And that's the tragedy of it really is that and he made money and did well, and he is beloved by many. So I'm not saying it's completely a loss or anything. I, I love Ernest, the character. I think it's great. And uh, generations, I mean, th- people are still talking about Ernest today. So I'm not, sure. I'm not undermining any of that. And I think it's wonderful. But if he were not to have gotten typecast as Ernest, what would this man have gone on to do? I think he could have been Robin Williams' level of fame and taking on quality projects because he was that talented. And he, and based on what we see, and we're not covering it here, but based on what we see in some of his other movies, I think he would have made a hell of a villain too. I think he would have oh, made yeah. a hell of a villain in some stuff. Here, here's, here, here's the, the long and the short of it. Long and the short of it was he's a classically trained theater actor who took regional commercials 
to pay his bills pay because bills. theater yeah. doesn't pay. Right. And it ended up blowing up into a place where Disney through touchstone is giving you a four picture deal makes and, and take this character as far as you can go. And yeah. he went, you want to do it. You're not going to be like, nah, I don't want that contract because he wants to parlay and other things. He gets a TV show off of it. He gets all kind yeah. of earnest stuff. And remember, and again, um, and made money off of it. I'm he's sure got John Terry made more. That, hey, hey, Vern, it's my family album. I mean, yes, he's got correct. like, like, like Pee Wee did HBO special or whatever. That's how it started. He got his own special. And yep. you can't, he's an actor. He's a working actor. And, yep. you know, he got, again, he got typecast, but um, he had the fame. He was doing promotions with Disney. He was at the opening of Splash Mountain. Talk about problematic things yes you know, with <laughs> but but you know he did, he had a whole yep. 30 30 minute abc special Ernest at splash mountain for the premiere of that ride at disney world yep. so i mean this guy was riding high uh on taking taking opportunities as they came which yeah. came through Ernest. yes but the downside of that is he's then now stuck playing Ernest long beyond the point where he wants to Right. He didn't get out at a time where like Daniel Radcliffe, as soon as Harry Potter was over, he's like, I'm going to ride a flatulent corpse like a dolphin. (laughs) I'm I'm not Harry Potter anymore. This was Ernest long enough to where it was hard. Now, now, again, he did other things. And especially when it comes to voice acting, he did some great voice acting, whether it was the Slinky Dog or in the Treasure planet or you know all the different roles that he did he he got to do some voice acting which is really cool because you didn't have a chance to see Ernest, and he was really talented with his performances um but you know when you see jim varney it's really hard to separate him from Ernest because that's what you said he was uh one of the most famous recognizable characters in the world yep and and uh, now John Cena has grown to look just like him. If they ever oh, need to do an Ernest movie, it's John that Cena. Is, that is uncanny, though. It's it is uncanny. weird how, how much yeah. he looks like a buff Ernest. He really yeah, does look like he him. He really does. Um, so this movie, though, okay. This movie, I know that it's not one of the stronger. It's not the worst. It's not direct-to-video no. quality. But it is one of the weaker theatrical releases of Ernest. It's also the first one where they're figuring things out. But with that being said, I still think this is a fun kids movie. I do think that it is enjoyable. I think it's entertaining. I think that the character of Ernest is so lovable and so fun with the 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 wackiness that he gets into and and you know whether it's the falling off a ladder or you know getting run over or whatever. It's just he's yeah. he's such a lovable character and and I think that it's a fun movie. I think it's a kids movie. It's a very much a kids movie. When you talk about the the chefs and the machine and shooting spaghetti and stuff like that. I mean it's a gross out humor and kids stuff, but like this movie I think recognizes what it is and and does what it sets out to do, which is to be an entertaining kids movie. And it's you know three point five million. It made twenty three point five million, which is a lot of money for it's what it little is. darlings' money. It's not meatballs' money. <laughs> but 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 those movies appeal to more of the teen, the adult. Uh, you know, the, they skew a little bit older. Would I the movie have been kids- more successful if Ernest was trying to sleep with one of the kids? <sighs> I am so glad that he did not tarnish his good name and his reputation <laughs> by trying to do that. I, what I think is interesting, though, and I think it is a good choice, is there's no romantic relationship between him and the camp nurse. 
yeah, they, I mean, they keep they keep Ernest uh, fairly asexual throughout all the Ernest movies. Uh, that, that's true. They don't really give him that as much of a relationship type thing as you would think, because even Pee Wee had E.G. Daily. Yeah, yeah, no, I Ernest is. It's interesting that you say that because my memory of this was that because like all these movies have like the counselor guy and the nurse or the, you yes, know, like there's, right. they, they all, yeah. there's so many of that's such a, a stereotypical relationship. Or town doctor movies. who helps somebody commit child abuse and fraud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when I'm watching this movie, I had thought that he was going to get the nurse in the end but i'm like oh no that's those other three camp movies but it's like it's there up until the point where they're just friends they're not in a romantic relationship are you a jake and eddie person or a chuck and bobby person chuck and bobby for sure oh yeah that chuck and bobby are the best parts of some of those other earnest movies this is but but you see like this is laying the framework for that they were trying to figure out that is chuck basically Yeah, yeah. But 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 it's like but it's so weird to go back and watch this one because this is one of the least watched of my childhood. Uh because you know, this movie they were trying to figure it out. It's not as good as some of the others. So it's so weird to see that dynamic in this one where you're like, that's not right. This just doesn't feel right with those two. <laughs> I gotta address this because I will probably never talk about another Ernest movie <laughs> since I lost that episode. And I, not that I'm against them, but I, I don't oh, I can't, I, I can't recreate as, what I did. Yeah. As long as I'm living and breathing, Jason. <laughs> I will find a way. I've done Ernest Go- Saves Christmas, which I I actually like, um, and I I uh, I've done Ernest this one Scared now. Stupid is such a good horror movie, brother. I talked about Ernest Rides again for three hours, and it got file got corrupted. I can't go oh. down this path again. But here's the thing: part I, I want to address it because Bobby's not in this movie, but this is my chance to address it. Okay. The unspoken reason why Bobby is such a funny character is because they cast a person who is deranged looking. And they, they, they did. There's a, there's a subtle, almost Tim and Eric-esque, we got a real deranged looking guy, had him take his dentures out, and he stands there, yeah. slack jaw, <laughs> mute, and looks bizarre <laughs> and they just literally just shoot the guy standing I mean, there and you and want teller. to laugh they're Penn and teller well kind of but teller doesn't look like bobby looks no bobby's I mean, a weird looking guy i mean he's he definitely that's the joke is he's the, he's odd he's a but the he dynamic looks, he, is Penn he looks like teller, a mental they, patient but I'm just saying John Cherry took that. It's Penn and Teller. It's the dynamic. You've got the guy that doesn't talk, and you got the guy that talks a lot, the big guy that talks a lot, and they do funny stuff together. It's I don't think John Cherry took it from uh, Penn and Teller. I think John Cherry, if anything, he probably took it from Harpo Marx. But uh, I, if anything, Penn and Teller ripped off Chuck and Bobby, and I'll go to my grave, believe that. <laughs> I love Penn and Teller. Uh, they're fine, but they're no Chuck and Bobby. This is um, this might be where my love it started here and it evolved to Penn and Teller. Penn and Teller, yeah, yeah, yeah. But okay, hold on. Okay, Who's so the better movie. atheist? Who's the better atheist, Chuck or Penn Gillette? Mm. <laughs> that's a tough call. I, Who does I the better it. fart noises? Do you remember? Do you remember? <laughs> Well, Chuck, Chuck on, obviously. <laughs> yeah, you remember Chuck on Hey Vern, It's Ernest, which I'm sure you watched the show, yeah, Ernest Show. Sure, yeah. Today, let's learn about the sounds I did in a movie called The Zombies Are a Coming. The Zombies Are a Coming. It sounds like alien monsters being absorbed into the human skull. 
goes something like this. First, you take the meaty part of your hand, wrap it around your jowl, put your fingers to your other jowl, and blow. <laughs> See you next week, kids. Don't forget. <laughs> you know what? I even did on that fucking Ernest episode. I'm interrupting myself now. I even did Dr. Glow and the Light Beam or whatever the the, the first movie where Ernest ever appeared. Yeah. I did oh, wow. we reviewed that one. Oh my gosh. Like, all of them, everything. Like all eight Ernest things he ever appeared in. It was all I part know of that I'll fucking never destroyed. Be able to recapture that magic, but you have to understand I have been looking for an excuse to talk about Ernest and when this came <laughs> up, I don't think you realized that this was actually a secret Ernest episode. No, I do because you, every time you appear in this show, you're like, I'll come back if we, I can talk about Ernest <laughs> yeah. for three years. <laughs> okay. So, so that wasn't yeah. as hidden no. as I thought it was. I've already okay. cut 20 minute Ernest tangents out of episodes <laughs> about Disney. Yes, I know that you wanted to do Ernest. It's okay. not, that's not an exaggeration. All right. All right. <laughs> I'm fine with it. I'm not anti Ernest. Okay, but we um, gotta talk about this movie. Hold on. No, hang on, hang on. I want to finish my truck story. <laughs> okay, okay, please. Hey, Vern, it's Ernest. Do you remember they did? They had a special <laughs> segment every episode where it was just him being a radio announcer in a microphone, making fart noises for like two minutes. They were like, "Oh, for blah blah blah." blah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, that was all it was. It was Some him of the just best farting different fart sounds in his hands. Some he could do best. a variety of farts. <laughs> Some of the best humor humanity's ever seen. <laughs> I'm not go look it up on YouTube. I'm not exaggerating. He had a weekly segment on a Saturday morning Ernest TV show where he was like a yeah. 1950s, almost like a uh, what's the musical you like that I can't stand? Little Shop of Horrors. He's almost like like uh, John Candy from, from yeah. the the Little Shop of Horrors musical movie, and where but instead of doing a different noise, it's just different farts. It's just. Right. Different parts, and he's putting his mouth on different parts of his hand. And Sounds <laughs> like it made an impression on you. Blowing different farts. And it, that was an entire segment of the show. The 80s yeah. were wild. Uh, I think Ernest had his own cereal for a while, too, didn't he? I believe he did. Yeah. You guys have, if you weren't born in that area, you have no idea. They would grab a hold of something and commercialize it until it was Oh, religion. my gosh. That's Alf, why this stuff is. Ernest. This, yeah. This is why this oh, stuff yeah. has stuck with us because there was no legislation. Uh, <laughs> they had deregulated the airwaves because before that there was laws that said you could never directly market to children. Right. In the 1980s, they repealed all that shit, <laughs> which is why we had cartoons based on toys and movies based on cartoons. Oh, Robocop uh, cartoons. Oh, yeah. Cartoons. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's how Pee Wee Herman became a kid's thing. It went from the groundlings where it was a dirty. Right parody yeah. of kids tv people don't to an actual kids tv right. show. people don't realize like i said i mean he started off with that hbo special and he became yes. so popular and got his own show but okay so back to Ernest. though we've got yes. to talk about this okay. movie so Let's it's a camp it movie <laughs> wow wow um, i am i am actually offended but okay so and it's not because of the movie, Jason. It's so, because Chris Pratt's not Ernest in this movie. That's what we need. We need an Ernest well, reboot with Chris Pratt. Maybe we do. He does, that Owen character from Jurassic World, there's an Ernest thing going on there. <laughs> but they need to explain why he doesn't talk like Ernest. It's because that's only for the local commercial. Oh, he just go. talks like Chris Pratt. Okay. So, okay. So this movie. So it's it's yeah. your typical camp movie. You've got the kids come in. Now, apparently, you've got 
like we talk about the meatballs and the kids that are not at the the the, the the kids are the slobs versus the yeah. snobs camp. Um, you've got these kids coming in. They're like troubled kids coming to this mm-hmm. camp. And so they're coming and that's why they're disturbing things. and They're being mean to artists. They are bad kids. They are like troubled teens and they want to get, what do they want to get their quota up or something? They want to get these kids in their camp for whatever reason. So tax they come purposes, to, government yeah, handouts. They probably, <laughs> they probably are. They're getting, they're getting funded or whatever. They got to get these kids here. <laughs> so Ernest is the maintenance guy and he's just trying to keep this camp running and the kids come and they're being mean to him. And he wants nothing more than to be a camp counselor. And again, Ernest is so innocent and such a nice guy and you just want him to achieve his goals. And, uh, you know, through wacky hijinks and Sue and, and one of the cancel can- camp counselors gets knocked out and Ernest gets his big shot where he can be a counselor. And of course he gets to take over the bad kids and they're messing with him the whole time. Um, but meanwhile, there's a evil real estate developer that wants to take the property and turn it into shopping malls. Is that? Yep. And, uh, so they've got, yeah, so they've got, they've got to figure out how they can do it. The owner of the camp is played by, you know, Joey Butts, whatever the actor's name was, uh, they, he's not going to sell. It's their sacred land. And it, you know, it's supposed to be that, you know, the, what, what's the type? Is it it, Plains Indian sign language used by Kikiki's owner? Do they, I don't know if they ever say what type of native American he is, but chief St. Cloud is the character anyway. And so it's, uh, the land is sacred. Chief Pasta Primavera is his real name. (laughs) Well, (laughs) might be the real name. Chief Boyardee. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's pretty good. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) I I really can't follow that up. That was good. So, so he's not going to sell this land and the real estate developer tries to decide that he's going to come in and trick him through the use of Ernest. So Ernest is someone that can kind of communicate with the chief and and uh, he is able to come in and trick Ernest into tricking the chief. He says he's doing like a petition or something like it's this supposed to be this harmless thing that he's going to sign off on and the chief signs away the rights and the real estate developer ends up getting these rights and he'll, and yeah. he's going to shut down the camp, turn it into a strip mall. But he does not prevail because the kids turn into warriors and Storm the capital and get explosion explosives like dynamite yes, and yes, oil drums. Yeah. And they 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 go to war. Like I'm talking about they are yeah. not afraid of people die in this war for this camp. Correct. Yeah. And it is so insane as an adult to watch this because the only sane rational person is the uh, is she the daughter of the chief daughter or granddaughter right? or something like okay, that yeah, she's related yeah, to the, yeah. she, she's the nurse that we were talking about and yeah. this platonic relationship with Ernest and she's like you guys can't do this these are kids and Ernest is just like what is, he just like he's like a robot he's just repeating this mantra that, he, that like yeah I'm, I mean, I'm not Ernest, afraid you, you can't lead kids on a weird George Miller Mad Max battle tank <laughs> right to a construction zone to try to kill Lyle Alzado <laughs> who is a psychopathic <laughs> monster of a man yeah and instead Lyle Alzado just decides well fuck this we're just gonna kill these kids in return and they're genuinely trying to kill these children and That's they the damn near beat Ernest to death in front yes. of these children that was when I revisited for the show for that last episode 
I ain't seen it in 30 years. <laughs> I did not remember the the passion of the Ernest, where Ernest P. Wuerl is whipped with a can of nine tails for the sins of these delinquent children. They, they, I'm not this that fight scene goes he on just, almost as long as they live. He gets he his beats, ass kicked for eight beats, minutes. He beats the crap. Out beats of the Ernest. living shit out of her. It is it is crazy. But that's what I mean is that the spectacle of this film, the way that <laughs> <Spectacle>. Ernest <laughs> A spectacle of that unmanned golf cart riding across the camp. With, with the wire. The wire. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, man, people did not have HDTVs when this came out. Yeah. But, okay, but the, the thing Roger is... Roger Deacons me. actually shot Ernest Goes to Camp. Very few people know that. He did it under a pseudonym. <laughs> John Cherry gave Roger Deacons his first break in Hollywood. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is so exciting. So, uh, <laughs> all right. So, it just as an adult watching this and watching the kids go to war against the construction workers. You thought what was wrong with me as a kid that I liked this movie? <laughs> and they are exploding <laughs> dynamite. They are throwing <laughs> dynamite. <laughs> they have the war ring. <laughs> it's just... I, it was amazing. It just, oh my gosh. I, when when I, I say Ernest got the shit kicked out of him, Kevin, he is, he did. they bloody him. He <laughs> is profusely bleeding from his face. He now, is a he bloody the, mess. Does he sing the song before or after that? <laughs> because- I think he goes to the nurse's office because he's beat to shit. And then the kids still don't like him. And, and then he mean sings to him the song. They're, they're mean song, to him, yeah. at, even though he got his ass kicked on their behalf. This is their kid. I think that's right. I, I've seen a lot of Ernest movies. Like I said, I've probably seen them all at some point. I've watched a yeah. lot of them throughout the years. I did not remember this had a musical number in it. That that's a lie, Kevin, because you were in an episode. I believe it was you. I shouldn't say it's a lie. I think it's a lie with an asterisk. You were in an episode where I flat out told you that one of the Disney and or Pixar songs that came out after Ernest goes to camp is the same melody as the song oh. that Ernest sings. That's I, how okay. Ernest came up. She's like, okay. oh, I love Ernest. I'm like, no, it is. Yeah. Sometimes when it's raining, it's the same melody. Yes. I should say the, the <laughs> I should say I did not remember. And it was very yes. surprising, though, when I watched this again. It's like, oh, my gosh, this has yeah. a musical number. It, it just... <laughs> It was amazing. So we got we got Ernest and his hijinks. We got our camp yes. hijinks that they all have. But then we have a Mad Max battle sequence where yes. they're throwing dynamite and exploding barrels. And yeah. then we have the evil real estate developer with a gun coming to murder Ernest yes. because he will not get off his property. Like, this movie's bonkers, but I will say no matter what you say about it, I don't think you could say it's not entertaining. And I had so much more fun with this movie than the previous two that we talked about. This was a blast. I was bored throughout all of it. Oh. I could barely pay attention to it. Oh, no. If Lila Zato had dressed up as a leather daddy and had said, you disappoint me. Once again, you've made me release my dogs of war. Then I would have enjoyed it. Um, oh. I did think it was weird when John Vernon somehow convinced all those people to storm the Capitol. I thought that was strange. Um, I, I don't know. So disappointed in you, Jason. I, I honestly, I, okay, let's go through the tropes real quick before I say what I think about this movie. Okay. Bus pickup. I believe so. 
I believe we have the Outcast campers. Yeah, Ernest drives the bus at, at some point, right? Yeah, that's right. At Camp yeah. Kikakee, the juvenile delinquents are the outcast. Mm-hmm. So even within the nerd, even within the slob camp, they're the slobs. Sure. Pranks and bets absolutely give they, they give Ernest poison ivy and shove it into his face. Oh my god. While gosh, he's yes. already in the infirmary. Yeah. Um we get a parents' day. No, we don't. There's no parents. No, day. no parents day in this one. Because maybe the parents would have put a stop to the civil war. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so insane. There is is there a rival camp or is it just the grown men that they're trying to kill? I don't think there's a rival camp in this okay. one. I think it's just Camp Kikakee. They didn't have a budget for two camps. Are you kidding me? There, there's no big race, but there is a fight to the death. <laughs> it's the bat, the Mad Max battle yes. sequence at the yes. end of this. There is. Would you say it's an insensitive depiction of First Nation peoples as with Iron Eyes Cody with uh? With I this don't man? think. Uh, I think he <laughs> is a charlatan, and I don't think that that's. <laughs> I don't think that's the fault of the film. I think the film is trying to be respectful. Now, I don't think John Cherry did his research necessarily. Due diligence. Oh, this guy's uh, not speaking yeah, kick key. He's I, speaking absolute gibberish. I think he said, this is the guy. So straight. There's a summer love. No summer love in this movie. Unless it's the love Ernest learns to love himself. Yeah, no, I don't think there is. I Would mean, this I have always... been better if a uh, female camp camper? I think this is all boys camp, though, isn't it? I think so. Would it have been better if a female there's... camper would have come to Ernest's cabin in the middle of the night in a nightgown and tried to drink wine with him? Does that elevate this movie? Or <laughs> I'm going to say that's not what we needed in this Ernest film. I see. Uh, what I did need was a lot more of a lot more things. I oh, this had um, this had mean camp counselors though, because you had the guy that's like, oh, learn to swim, and pushes the kid in the water. Oh yeah, the tennis to the what's his name? Oh god, he's like there's, those the such and such way or whatever. So there's yeah. there's there's cool campers, like you said, they're outcasts. Yes. So there's within the camp, so there's cool campers that they push into the water. Then the the lifeguard is like, you need to learn to swim. This is the best way. And pushes the little kid into yes, the water. Yeah. Ernest has to save him. Um, you know, oh, I, w- kinda- I, I will say uh, something I did like is the only redeemable kid out of all of these brats is Hakeem Abdul Samada's moose. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 little, the littlest kid. I think he's a little, he's, he's a good little actor. He is he's a, a sweet cute character. Kid. He's a sweet character. He's the only mm-hmm. one that gives Ernest like the time of day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, I honestly, I think that this is going to sound ridiculous, but I think the screenplay here makes a fatal mistake, which is I understand these kids being assholes mm-hmm. and through, through earnest, like selflessness, they, they, they come out of their defense mechanisms and their trauma and they, they, you know, whatever they, they turn into good little kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, but it takes too fucking long and they're too fucking mean. And they're not charismatic enough. They're not funny enough. They're not charming enough. The majority of this movie is watching those kids be bullied by the kid, other kids and the camp counselors, watching Ernest defend them, and then watching them treat Ernest like shit. And then watching Ernest literally get beat half to death on their <laughs> behalf and them yeah. not care. It's, it, it goes, it's too much. It goes too far too long because you do tend to like the Ernest character and you're just watching this guy get abused. It's, it's, I know that sounds silly, but it, it just, it goes on 
there needed to be more moments where those the kids need to start turning earlier and you need more montages. You got to hit that Braveheart song, which is actually a pretty catchy tune. You yeah. got to get Bravehearts way earlier. They got to paint shit and build it. There's got to be a regatta or something earlier in the movie. Yeah. No, I, I can see that. I wish they weren't as mean to Ernest. They should have learned their lesson a little bit sooner about being nicer to him and everything. Uh, I think that's a product of the time and that the, oh, it's funny. Look, this, look at this guy fall down and go boom. Uh, you know, it, it's a, that is a mean-spirited thing where I think the movie is trying to redeem itself and teach a good lesson in the end, but it's trying to elicit laughs through being mean to Ernest, and that is my least favorite part of the film. I find it cynical. I don't buy the heartwarming ending. It's my number four for the week. It's a five out of ten. Stinks. This is what your number one. This is your number one. This is not my number one. Uh Ernest goes to camp, gets a 7.0. It is my number it is my number three of the week. Okay, that's fair enough. There's only one, in my opinion, legitimate number one on here, and it ain't that great, but there's one clear number one, especially in comparison to these other films. I think that's really interesting. I think that's very interesting, and I'll tell you why once we discuss the films. We'll see. We'll see if we agree. We'll see if we're number ones are the same. Okay. Let's move on to the 90s, our heyday. 1994's Camp Nowhere, which currently has a 17% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's their camp. Ah! It's their rules. Ah! What kind of omelet is that? Hot corn. It's that simple. Christopher Lloyd, Camp Nowhere, rated PG. Starts Friday, August 26th. The film was directed by Jonathan Prince. It was written by Andrew Kurtzman and Elliot Wald. It's a triumphant return of M. Emmett Walsh, last seen in The Jerk. Triumphant return of Burgess Meredith, last seen in the Rocky <laughs> franchise. Triumphant return of Andrew Keegan, last seen in Independence Day. Triumphant return of Marnette Patterson, last seen in Nightmare in Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. She's a little girl that's like, nobody lives here. Triumphant <laughs> return of Tom Wilson, last seen in Back to the Future. Triumphant return of Christopher <laughs> Lloyd, last seen in Back to the Future. It was released. August 26, 1994, by Touchstone. Again, another mm-hmm. Touchstone movie. And it's really interesting because the other movie is a Disney movie released the same year. So Disney mm-hmm. released two camp movies the same year. On a budget of undisclosed, never a good sign, this movie made only $10.5 million. Not great. Tweens convinced local drunk to kidnap them and take them to his favorite orgy location. <laughs> That's the uh, joke. You, you, you got that joke, right? Where, where they say something is like, oh, I bet you had a lot of good times here, right? And he's like, oh, I, I wonder why. He's like, oh, it used to be all a hippie swinger place. They used to do drugs and, fr- and do free right, love out here. Right, 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 and, they, right, and Christopher right. Lloyd goes, Oh, I thought I remember this place. And the kid goes, wow, we just had a lot of good times here. And he looks around the room and he goes, not here. And then he takes a step to the right. He's like, they kind of winks and nods. And he's like, yeah, I fucked. I fucked right here. I'm like, what is, that's why it's a touchstone movie and not a Disney movie. I'm like, what are we doing? Okay, go ahead. Well, you're stopped. Uh, My synopsis is Ernest goes to camp. Can I tell you? Okay, let's start here. That's what Christopher Lloyd's doing. 
Uh, well, I don't know what he's doing. He's kidnapping With the characters. Children. He, uh, but <clears throat> the Christopher Lloyd is basing this character. I mean, he's a theater teacher, but he has an army. Character, a disgraced, has- fired theater teacher who's <laughs> on the run from the law. Okay, first of all, why is Christopher Lloyd? Why did he get fired from that school? They're like, oh, I, I heard he was really weird. And a lot of weird things happened. That's what they say in the movie. <laughs> and then they never address why he was fired. There's I, not a re- there's there's not a reveal of like, oh, he actually was I, fired for the you know uh, tax funding just, issues. They cut the theater I, department. I, there's I no explanation. Just, I think he was just out there with his theater characters. I don't think he committed any criminal offenses. He creates a criminal offense by defrauding all of these parents. <laughs> Kidnapping their children, taking their money, letting those children run amok, completely unsupervised, at a dilapidated, dilapidated, abandoned camp. One of those kids would have had lockjaw by the first week from tetanus. This this movie is a nightmare to sit through. You had mud. Oh my gosh, I, mud, James, aka James. Jonathan Jackson, who is Tuck Everlasting. Everlasting is another uh, adjective I'd use for this movie because this movie never fucking ended. Can we oh address gosh. the fact that the fat girl, quote unquote, in this movie is a totally healthy weight and they just made her wear four different sweatshirts in the middle of goddamn summer? Like, this is very clearly a not overweight girl. And they're like, oh, you're a real fat pig. You're a fat pig. Your mom wants you to lose weight. This movie is more fat shaming than heavyweights, and heavyweights is more fat shaming than meatballs. The only <laughs> fat positive movie on this list is. Fink from Meatballs. <laughs> this movie fails uh, to capitalize wow. on any kind of fun because we watch these kids buy a bunch of crap that looks like, oh, every 90s kid dream, their dream. We never see them have real fun with it. This, this movie's not directed in a way. The premise is golden. Kids all fake. They're going to different camps and instead make a camp for kids by kids. This should be the funnest movie on earth. There is nothing in this movie that comes close to the blob. There is nothing in this movie that comes close to, to the, the, the fun that we see in the other movie, Heavyweights. And half that movie, the kids are being tortured by Ben Stiller. This, this, movie, this, this movie, oh, it stops from focusing the kids to deviate into a Christopher Lloyd romance subplot. If I, I can't think of anything that I would want as a 10 year old in 1994 more than to watch 25 <laughs> minutes of Christopher Lloyd, who's 80 years old, trying to get his dick sucked. This movie is dog shit. The doctor would 100% lose her license. A hundred percent. There's one joke in this goddamn movie that made me laugh, Kevin. And it's the funniest joke. And it is funny. It's when they're faking all the parents day and they're faking all the different camps, which would never fucking work. And they, they show up to the theater camp and they have the two youngest kids doing streetcar named desire. And it gets like, what's your, what's, what, what's the goddamn problem with my goddamn. <laughs> and it's Tennessee for tots. Yeah. That is hilarious. Tennessee for tots. And they have this kid. They have the kid doing the Brando role from streetcar named desire with during the one of the filthiest monologues. Like another reason why this is touchstone and not Disney. I can oblige a lousy script, Kevin, if the kid stuff or the, the kid stuff is fun or the plot has some kind of 
sense to it. This is not fun, it's not logical, and it is lousy. This is a lousy movie. I have revisited it for the first time since 1994. This movie is definitively the worst movie of the week. I give this thing a 3 out of 10, and it's my number 5. I hated this movie. Hated it. Wow. Okay. Can I talk? Yeah. <laughs> First of all, I have a question for you. Yeah. Who hurt you and was it at summer camp? <laughs> the person who hurt me was the writer, director, screenwriter, if you want to call it that, of Camp Nowhere. I thought this movie stunk in 1994. I did not like this movie as a kid. And I was hoping that I would, with adult eyes, be able to revisit. But, oh, well, it's silly. It's funny. It's nostalgia. I am roughly the age of the kids who are portraying this movie. This is a kid fantasy movie. I think Big, and first of all, Big is an instant classic, all-time great. Big did more in one scene of grown man Tom Hanks pretending to be a kid, jumping on a trampoline to convince me how fun childhood is than this movie does, no matter how many fucking slapdash montages they put in with kids with super soakers. I never, ever believe that these kids are having a good time. I believe the juvenile delinquents who are sadomasochistic pieces of shit who are abusing Ernest and are enjoying themselves. I, I believe that some of the camaraderie, even in little darlings, those kids are having a good time. I think, I, I think Christian McNichols is having a better time with a bet about her virginity than the kids are in this movie. That's more believable. This movie is garbage. Garbage, so, Kevin. So I love this movie. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> this no. movie... <laughs> This movie is so fun. I had this movie on VHS. This is one that I wore out as a kid. I think the wish fulfillment of kids being let loose to do whatever they want is such a fun concept that I don't know how you don't see the... I mean, you said the idea is golden, and to me, they execute on it. I think the idea is brilliant that all these kids would be sent to these different camps, and they say, hey, let's trick them into saying that, oh, we're each going to our theater camp, our weight loss camp, like our heavyweight style camp, our uh, military academy, all this stuff. And Christopher Lloyd is doing earnest. He is the Ernest character. He's pulling characters that seem very much... Ernest did a military character that was just like what Christopher Lloyd was doing. Very and true. And so, so my love of Ernest transferred through to this. I could see, I'm like, wow, this is another iteration of the Ernest character playing all these parts. I think Christopher Lloyd is having a really fun time with the character. He's going all in on it. I feel like he's there. He showed up to play ball. He makes the movie very entertaining. I did enjoy his choices. I mean, you have M. Emmett Walsh. And remember... Roger Ebert said that no movie can be completely devoid of quality if M. Emmett Walsh is in it. And so that is a rule we have to live by. Well, if, if, if I didn't abide by the rule, the movie would be a zero. <laughs> it's a three. This has an, a bonkers cast, like you said. I mean, you rattled off the names. Like, it is crazy when you realize the amount the, of people that are in this movie. And these Jessica random- Alba, uh, <laughs> Alex Mack. Or Allison Mack, the Nexium sex cult girl from Smallville. She's in it. But when you see these people popping up, I mean, it is only maybe dwarfed by the next one. But just the amount of people they got to be in this movie is amazing as an adult. When you go back and you're like, oh, my gosh, the Penguin is in this movie. Like Mickey from the Rocky movies. He's in this movie. Why? But he's there and it's kind of mind blowing. But as a kid, so you have a certain 
there's certain movies that really tapped into this thing for me as a kid. So rookie of the year, you could be on a professional baseball team as a kid, uh, you know, camp nowhere. Oh, you could be left with a, a you know, stack of cash, $3,000 for the summer and buy whatever you want and big screen TVs and super soakers, whatever, uh, you know, team romance subplots and all this stuff. And just, you know, overall kids going crazy at camp. This is that wish fulfillment that I think really works. I mean, it did for me at, at, at a young age and I, I just appreciated what it was doing and also the lessons that they learn. I mean, I do think that it does have a good lesson at the end. I feel like the characters grow. I feel like you have all the characters that are learning things along the way. And, and uh, you know, the, the Christopher Lloyd thing, when you say like, oh, he's a drama teacher, what did he do? And, oh, he abducted these kids and all that. Like, this is a, to me, this is a silly, lighthearted kids escapism film. Like, I'm... I, Chris, I'm not saying Christopher Lloyd is some kind of criminal that's doing all this stuff. Like, no, he, the guy, his his car is getting repossessed and he has to hightail it out of town. And these kids say, we have money, uh, you know, come be our fake teacher, our fake count, camp counselor, and just, you'll have a cabin and do your own thing. We'll, we won't bother you. I mean, it's harmless. I know when you look at it through the eyes of laws and real life that like, yeah, obviously there's a lot of criminal offenses going on here. But is a kid's movie... This is the silly, zany wish fulfillment that I was looking for as a kid and I can appreciate still. And I, I don't know. I have a blast with this movie. I think it's completely entertaining. I think you're, you, you heard me, but you, you weren't listening, Kevin, because you got nostalgia goggles on. And it's okay. It happens to the best of us. This movie meant a lot to you as a kid. And so you, you, when you watch it, you reconnect with those feelings and you're like, it's fun. And there's nothing wrong with that. But. <laughs> I can overlook plot inconsistencies of like, well, all of this is highly illegal and dangerous child endangerment. And Christopher Lloyd's going to prison for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. I can overlook all of that. If ultimately it's either got a good script, charismatic kids, uh, it's fun. If it's a wish fulfillment thing at this point, it's wish fulfillment plus nostalgia. This watching this movie should make me want to be 10 years old again, or when I was 10 and I watched it and didn't like it, it should make me want to be at this camp, to be at camp nowhere, the coolest camp on earth where, you know, we got big screen TVs and we can play super Nintendo all day and skateboards and super soakers and all this sort of stuff. And that all of that is focused on so little. I never, the movie is just, it's a fun idea. It's a fun what if, but I can imagine more fun scenarios. You're this is inspiring you to imagine fun scenarios. The scenarios it provides us are not fun. We never see these kids have fun in the same way that we see in heavyweights. That kid, uh, the captain with the, the go karts, it's never as fun as there's, there's nothing even remotely as charming in this movie as the sequence when all the kids are have all the different nooks and crannies to hide their candy. Or the blob. There, there's one. There, like, there's nothing in this movie that is uh, as fun as that montage of the kids in a blob. And by the way, this is a nostalgia speaking because two years ago, maybe three, I rewatched Heavyweights and I thought it was abysmal. I thought it was abysmal. But after I watched it directly after Camp Nowhere, <laughs> it was like, oh, this is what this movie's supposed to be. Because this, this Camp Nowhere is lifeless. It is, 
Oh, man. The only thing this movie has half-assed going for it is I do think that Christopher Lloyd is offering, it may be an earnest ripoff, like you just said, but it's something a little different from him than we've seen in any other movie. And yeah, I, I think it, he's, he's by far the best part, but everything else around it pretty much stinks. Oh man. I, I just, I have to disagree. I think that I, I know that you don't have nostalgia and it didn't connect it with you as a kid, but to me, this is a lot of fun and I, I appreciate the reality of it that, yeah, that sounds fun on paper, but there's only so much of that you can do. There's only, you get your big screen TVs and your junk food and, you know, whatever. You play hide and go seek and you're doing this stuff. But then it's like, okay, you do that a couple times. You do that, you know, for a week, for a month. Like, that's going to wear out and you're going to run out of money and you're going to have to face reality. It kind of turns into a Lord of the Flies type situation and you realize that's not sustainable. I think that there's something really interesting about that, how kids you know, they want excess, they want, they, they think they want to do all these things, but they're not mature enough to understand the real life repercussions mm-hmm. of it. And so I liked seeing that play out. I did think it was really fun. And I like how realistically the fun ran out. Um, and then there were consequences and like the nurse tell, or yeah, the nurse tells Christopher Lloyd, like once she realized what's going on, it's like, you can't do this. Like this is dangerous and all that. And well, then she's a I town, think, she's like the town doctor who's, who's, yeah. Somehow not tipped off by the fact that this child is showing up with burns on his on his arm from fireworks. And she's like, oh, you know, cook it with well, grease, huh? Cook it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but that, to me, the climax of this film, the yeah. third act with the different camps and switching them and the, the str- I think it is so fun. I, I was in love with it as a kid. I still love it as an adult. I think it's so creative the way that they used all their skills and work together and finally work together as a team to pull this off with the parents day and did all the different shows. And I thought it's fun. It's funny with the Mm -hmm. kid and the, the army dad and the explosives going off and the computer nerd stuff. And, you know, I just, to me, I think it's so fun and clever the way that it all gets pulled off there in the end. And I don't know. I have a blast with this thing. Let me pitch something to you. Okay. It's a story about a former drama teacher who was unjustly let go from his position due to accusations of some kind made by students. Punk kids, troubled youths. Disappears. Disappears. Nobody ever knows what happened to this guy. It have to take place in the 90s because pre-internet. But a bunch of people in this town want to send their kids to summer camp and an advocate for whatever summer camp they want to send their kids to shows up, pitches, sales, sells the kids, sells the family, whatever, whatever. Going to this camp, you're going to that camp, you're going to this camp, you're going to that camp. Come to find out that what's really happening is none of those camps exist. It's all the same camp. And it is a place for this man to collect all the children of this area and kill them, wipe them off the face of the earth, only after torturing them and exposing them to their worst fears, murdering them one by one, chasing them down in the woods, you know, subverting everything that there is about camp. Every camp thing you've ever seen, like flashlight tag and all this sort of stuff, it all gets turned into a sick game of, of, traumatizing trying to torture these kids to really get revenge 
for him being displaced for these false accusations. And the person who begins to catch on to it is a new person in town who's just recently set up her medical practice. And one of these kids manages in the middle of the night to escape from this camp with burns all over his body right before he dies. And she realizes there's something going on in the woods. And that movie is called Camp Nowhere. You're going to nowhere. You think you're going to camp. You're going nowhere. And, and that's how the trailer ends where the absolutely deranged person. And by the way, he's a master of disguise. He can change himself to be whatever. So, you, you know, you, you don't realize that he's almost, he's not, he's not mystical, but he's so good at disappearing in these different roles that he could be right in front of you and you don't even know that's the person you're talking to. You think you've re- made it to the road and you finally <laughs> found a cop who's going to bring you to safety and it's still the same guy. <laughs> Everything is an elaborate setup. And then the trailer ends with him going, where do you think you're going, son? And it's, you're going nowhere. <laughs> this is the 2023 gritty Slow, reboot. creepy music of some 90s song, whatever was in this movie. <laughs> And then some Jim Blossom's bullshit. Slow down. No, it's just the it's just the Camp Nowhere song, but it's like slowed down. Slow, and creepy. yes, that yes. Nowhere, but it's just like nowhere. Yeah, a hundred percent. This could be a horror movie. Oh as could my the ne- As could the next one. Well, I gotta say, loved this movie as a kid. This is one of my favorite movies as a kid. I still think it holds up. I still think it's fun. This movie is my number, number two, two movie of the week <laughs> with an 8.0. You know what? I'm proud of you. Because even through the nostalgia and through you really loving the movie, you still made the right call because this is not the best movie of the week. That belongs to our next film, which I thought was abysmal until I saw Camp Nowhere. <laughs> it got the Mario bump. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> this is my Renfield. It's ni- 1994's uh, Heavyweights, which is uh, has currently 29% on Rotten Tomatoes. Kids like Jerry sometimes wish their lives were different. Nice swing. I'm so slow. Oh, would have been cool to go fast. But now they're learning. I have a plan. Whoa. There's nothing better. We're as good as anybody. Take them down, Kathy. Than being yourself. Heavyweight. A big new comedy from the creator of The Mighty Ducks. Rated PG. Starts Friday, February 17th. Heavyweights was directed by Stephen Bell. It was written by Stephen Bell and Judd Apatow. Yes, that Judd Apatow. It's a triumph return of Ben Stiller, Stiller lasting to meet the parents. Tim Blake Nelson, uh, I'm sure you've seen him before, but we'll be seeing him again in Minority Report as Gideon. It's a triumph return of Alan Covert as Adam Sandler. Or, as Adam Sandler. <laughs> triumph return of Alan Covert in Adam Sandler movies, because he's just in a bunch mm-hmm. of them. This was released February 17th. This is the one they dumped into theaters. This was the one that was supposed to be the flop. Crazy. And, and <laughs> this is such a classic. Uh, a Disney movie. They were just like, put out in February. Just put out in February. 
Um, and instead, you know, whatever. Uh, it Again, budget not available, made $17.6 million. Obese kids turned feral and tortured the camp staff after being ritualistically abused. I I have this as the uh, the origin story and prequel to Dodgeball. Hundred percent. Is the exact I mean, same no character. Way. There's no <laughs> way. Yeah, you can tell me that that yeah. isn't that Tony Perkis is not. Uh, I can't Globo remember the Globo Jim, Jim. Whatever it's his Globo name Jim, whatever. Yeah. It's the same yeah. character, which is I'm, great because when I saw Dodgeball, which I love the movie Dodgeball, is a goofy comedy too. You know, I had such a love for this movie. I'm like, oh my god, it's the guy. Like that's him. Like I knew that character, and I thought it was great. And especially when you see the end of the movie, and you know that this like con man is like trying to reinvent himself in different businesses. Bingo. Like yeah. it's a different identity. That is literally yes. the same person with a false yes. identity starting yes. a different business. Yeah, that's but, a movie conspiracy theory I can get behind because that's 100 yeah. percent right. But Dis- I mean, you you said written by Judd Apatow, and it's got Paul Feig in it. Yes, and. I know you're going to disagree with me. I think this is Paul Feig's peak as a every anything. This is the best he would ever be is in this. What? Movie. Oh yeah. This is the best work of his career. How? <laughs> oh wow. I yeah. mean, I, I don't, don't like, like anything, his directing. I don't like, I don't like anything he's ever done except for oh this. Oh my gosh. I have no time for Paul Feig. Are freaks and geeks or any of that stuff? Nope. This is it. Wow. He was never okay. better than in this, and he's he's very good. As in Tim this. shaking his yeah. butt in his little cutoff jeans. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, well, you know what's really weird about this movie, and I never completely connected the dots, yeah. is you've got Aaron Schwartz who plays Jerry in this it's Goldberg from the Mighty. Ducks? No, but Jerry is Dave from Mighty Ducks. Yeah. Okay. Sean Weiss Jerry- is Josh in this, but he's Goldberg, Goldberg in Mighty Ducks. He's Goldberg. Yeah. That's yeah. Good. Yeah. Keenan Thompson is Roy in this, but he's Russ in D2. D2. I mean, this is Disney, like, using their troupe of child actors. Oh, 100%. 100%. They, and I think Stephen Bell wrote or directed Mighty Ducks. Is that right? Um, There's some other, there's some other connection. There's some other connection where it seems as if, maybe it's not Stephen Bell, but I remember when I was looking this up. Somebody. Stephen Brill wrote Mighty Ducks. There you go. So they got the same writer and got a group of the core kids and then made this other movie off the back of Mighty Ducks. Um, Can we discuss the official poster for this film? Sure. It's a hamburger. It's not a hot dog bun. There are four obese children. (laughs) Yeah. It's the faces of the kids who are in the movie. I think Kenan Thompson is the only one whose face is on his body. Okay, interesting. Weese's Sean Weese's face is superimposed on a complete, very badly, on an entirely different person. I'm gonna have to enhance here. Let me pull out my computer and the man, here. <laughs> enhance, 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 enhance. enhance. See, I'm used to looking minutes. at this on the VHS cover. You know, things yeah, were a little yeah, blurrier. Right. It's not, you know. The man that's in that hamburger bun, which I, looks like a hot dog bun with seeds on it. It's just because the way that the burger, like the person is supposed read, to be. Read the tagline. Pound Here's for it. pound, the year's most triumphant comedy? Or uh, they never met a hot dog they didn't like until now. Bingo. That's a hot dog. There's so no the ta- way, I mean. The tagline is about hot dogs, and he's in a hot dog bun. If you say that's not a hot dog bun, and the tagline 
is about hot dogs, but the fucking food is a hamburger. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> the guy that's in the bun, be it hot dog or hamburger, is not anybody who appears in the movie because that's not Paul Feig. No. So this is what is really interesting. And all the no, kids' no, that's, bodies that's, are that's, wrong. That's the that's supposed to be the German guy, I think. But he doesn't have blonde hair for some reason. It doesn't look like him. Okay, so the interesting <laughs> thing about this is there's two posters. So let's get back to okay. conspiracy yeah. theory. So the first yeah. tagline I read is from the first poster, which I recognize more because they've got Camp Hope shirts on. The one you're referring to, they're in plain clothes, and it's got a different tagline. And so I wonder... That's just so weird that they have two posters that are almost the same thing, <laughs> but the clothes are photoshopped. Yes, I. That is a very strange thing. <laughs> I don't. I just don't even know. The poster for heavyweights is one of the weirdest collection of mysteries <laughs> in Hollywood history. The it more you look, a, at, here's the thing: the more the, you look at it, the weirder it gets. I know. Well. <laughs> They like there's the poster that I was thinking of, which I think was on the VHS. It's like the camp counselor. They they photoshopped whatever at the time. They drew over it, whatever. But they've got like camp clothes on. The counselor has a yellow hat that's been like photoshopped onto him. Yeah, it's very strange the way that they did that. Is heavyweights in green on the poster you're looking at? That's the plain clothes one where the hot dog. They never met a hot dog they didn't like. That's the original official poster for heavyweights. Okay, and and then they have another one, which I think was on the VHS, but they're in yellow Camp Nowhere shirts. The camp counselor has a yellow hat. It says, is from ben, the creator of Mighty Ducks. Is Ben Stiller superimposed? Because they have another one that's the exact same photo, but Ben Stiller that's, is superimposed. No, it. that's the digital poster. Like, that okay. was not, I don't think that one ever existed when we were kids. That's the one for Voodoo. Or gotcha. Whatever, you know? Right, yeah. yeah. So, um, um, how bizarre is that? <laughs> that's very bizarre first of all that's so, bothered me for decades it's bothered me for so years what i think is really funny about this whole situation is you have this movie at number one but you see that it hardly had a better critical reception than camp nowhere so i just think there's this really interesting dynamic at play here that the other movies were all reviewed better and you had more fun with this one, but critics didn't think this was much better than the one that I had so much fun with before. Oh, so. I don't. Here's the thing: I don't. This meets the bottom criteria that the other Camp Nowhere didn't. Where I said, "Hey, I can accept it as just a fun kids movie if it feels fun. It, mm. I can I can ignore plot inconsistencies. I can ignore whatever else I said if it's fun. Yeah. This movie actually feels fun. These kids seem to be having a good time." It's hokey. It's stupid. It doesn't make any sense. He's torturing his children. It gets really dark in a weird way. Ben Stiller is so over the top. Um, uh, this I mean, is the just, best. This is the best made film of all these movies. I think Ben Stiller. That is the other piece of it. It's the best directed, best made of all of these movies. Correct. That's it, this is the most competent Correct. film. Correct. That feels like it is. I mean, again, I like a lot. The, you know, several of the other movies, but this movie feels like. Motion picture. I mean, yeah, it just, <laughs> yeah. it just, yeah. I and, and I think yeah. that I think you've got Ben Stiller to thank for that. Um, I also think this is. You might be offended at this, but I also think Aaron Schwartz has more charisma in his husky jeans than Mud did in his entire bowl cut. I think the mm. main kid of Jerry is just a is a better written kid. 
It's not, it's not even comes down to performance. It comes down to writing. I think Jerry is a more interesting, well-rounded, more complex character. I, 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 I also think this movie gets by by a hell of a lot by the fact that when Ken Thompson goes up to him at the at the airport and he goes like on the airplane, he's like going to fat camp. That's a hilarious scene. Like, yeah, and he good, goes, well, no, writing. no, why do you say that? I'm like, oh, he's he a, why, why would you think that? And he's like, because you're fat. Is that your dad? No. Why would why you, you think that? Because he's fat. Because he's fat. And, you're and, fat the whole conversation and, and the way he brings back that is your dad though. No. Like, yeah. He, he goes, I, hell no. It's, it's yeah. a very funny, the writing in this is funny. And he goes, it, he goes yeah. well, why, why, why would you think I'm going? He goes, because I'm fat and I, and I'm going to fat camp. And he's yeah. like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to camp. He's like, okay. All right. He goes, you know, the best thing about going to fat camp, you won't be the fattest person there. You're not the fat kid at fat camp. Right. We're Everybody's all the fat. fat kid. Yeah. We're all the fat kid. I think that, like, again, it's the 90s, and eventually this movie will be so problematic we can never watch it again. And there probably is problems with it. But I think ultimately the movie, it's a movie about kids who are overweight going to a fat camp. The original version of the fat camp is obviously entirely unsuccessful because nobody has ever lost weight at this fat camp, which is part part of the joke. the kids go and have fun. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's just a fun camp. I mean, it's Jerry Stiller. We didn't mention Jerry Stiller's in this movie as one of the owners of the camp. Oh, and his speech in front of the kids when he when he, when he goes bankrupt and he was like, "Yeah, we put everything we had into this place." <laughs> <laughs> Breaking it's, down in front of the here's the, here, here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. There's a subtext that I believe comes from Judd Apatow, where there's a subtext of darkness. Just where Jerry Stiller breaking down and sobbing uncontrollably in front of the children about how he's lost all of his dreams. (laughs) This movie is very dark. It it gets real weird. Yes, which I think is is the Judd Apatow. And so I wanted I wanted to make a correction earlier. I think I was conflating two things. What I meant to say is I think Stephen Brill, the director, I think you owe a lot of this movie being a competent film because he has directed several comedies that I've enjoyed and I think are well made. And I, I think that one Stephen Brill elevates it. Two. The writing, like Judd Apatow, like you mentioned, and then three, the acting. Ben Stiller is he's going all in. We talked about Christopher Lloyd, or at least I did on the last movie. Ben Stiller is all in 110% with this character. He is insane, full-blown evil villain Yes, in this kid's movie, at this kid's camp. It's so ridiculous and over the top. And never for a second does he phone in one scene in this film. Even his introduction to them, he was like, I was raised, I was raised privileged and and educated only by private tutors alone as an yeah. only child. So this will be my first time interacting with children. And he's obviously, <laughs> he's a grown man, right? Yeah. Like just that line of like, oh, this is going to go horribly wrong. Um, him <laughs> stepping on shattering glasses in the food hall and yeah. walking across it for no reason. Just to pr- like, 
it's it's deranged it is it's so (laughs) funny and i i think that that's again like i think you get a lot of the fun kids stuff from Stephen brill and i think you get all the dark humor with judd apatow and ben stiller is is giving it his all and is totally deranged as this character which is wonderful it's just the most hilarious thing it's what works so well in dodgeball it's like you have such an evil crazy character and he's a gym owner like it's just it's ridiculous that someone would be this super villain type character owning a camp or owning a gym and it, it works so well. And I think it, it's even funnier in this situation because it's a kid's camp. Like he's taking this so seriously that people should be fit. And yes. like it's just, and it's a funny situation to be in and these kids don't give a crap and it's hilarious to watch them fight back and finally i mean first of all like you said the kids are hiding stuff everywhere and it's just funny that they show up to camp and they know the routine they've got all the candy and all the food hidden everywhere it's a really funny situation yeah and then he comes in and sees them like no one's losing weight so they take him takes them all out in this crazy hike <laughs> and then you know the, the is that the part where uh what's his face the I can't remember the the guy that you like, the Goldberg character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's what's whatever his name is? I just can't think of his name. I'm blanking on it. Josh. Um, yeah. Josh. There you go. Thank you. Uh, where he does the thing where he like sits in his face and and then he think they think that the, like he killed this kid or something. Like he disappears. Well, the movie actually 100 percent plays is because he's like, oh, you're a real funny guy. You're real funny. Yeah, and he's like, we'll see who's laughing last. And the next morning, he's yeah. just gone, and the, right. the bed is stripped. And you're like, like, wow, that's pretty dark shit. <laughs> that's the dark humor that again, which I yeah. think comes from Judd Apatow. And yeah. it's, it's like, it's crazy. They go this place in this Disney kids movie. Um, but the, I mean, they end up kidnapping him. They end up imprisoning him and, you know, put him in jail while they have their run of the camp and they're all going crazy and eating whatever they want. And I think that gets a little bit into the fulfillment as well. Yes. Like, yep. I mean, obviously it's crazy and unhealthy and all that, but as a kid, you know, this is a part of the, like when I was a kid, I'm like, man, if I could just go and eat pizzas and ice cream and whatever, you know, it's just like, yeah, that's silly thing of like, do whatever you want. No rules. There's no parents. So I think that you can have a lot of fun with the situation and then they bring them back to earth. And you know, you've got the the counselors that are just like, yeah, how did you think this was going to end up? And then I think it's funny where you have like the Paul Feig character, Tim, who like he's getting in on it too. He's crazy. And, um, you know, he used to be overweight himself. And so now he's like indulging with all the food and everything. And it's just, I don't know, you get these very relatable parts that are fun. And then they all wake up from that. And, um, you know, and then they have the parents day, right? It's parents, yep. parents come and they show them the video, which is like this horror video. <laughs> yeah. Which is hilarious. The way that all the parents are like, oh, this is so lovely. And then the horror video plays and you see Tony yelling at him. And then kind of in the vein of Ernest, the showdown with the Mad Max war, you have Tony. Is it Tony Perkis? Yeah, I think Tony Tony Perkis. Yeah. yeah. So you have Tony Perkis coming in. He escapes because, you know, he tricks the kid into letting him out of jail. And he comes and he does like front flips off the balcony. And I will say... The in-camera editing of this is very good. I rewound this it four is, or five actually. times. Yeah, it is. And watch the guy do, like, obviously some stuntman did front flips off the balcony, and then they do a cut. This The film is edited in a very in a very uh, effective way to where they yeah. do a cut, and you see someone coming down from the top of the camera, and then Ben Stiller pops up from the bottom. I just had to rewatch it several times because I'm like, that was seamless. 
in comedies, you usually get silly cuts, things that are like, oh, yeah. well, that's ridiculous, but it's a comedy. It doesn't matter. Like, it's supposed yeah. to be goofy. Like, this is such a competent film that they made sure that as ridiculous as these situations are, it looks like Tony Perkis is doing this stuff. And so I think you have to give him credit for how much they in time they invested in making this stuff look like it was happening. I just, and, and, you know, and they have a stuntman doing backflips down the aisle and it's pretty seamless the way they cut to him like wiping out at the end of the aisle. Yeah. <laughs> it, it just, I, what it I like it, well, it does. And what I like about the movie is it doesn't then come back around and go, well, the entire, this whole, whole thing. Yeah. The kids do what they want, whatever. But in the end they realize they're going to have to lose the weight. And, there is a part of that, but the the peak of the movie isn't about these kids losing weight. The peak of the movie is about these kids believing themselves, as generic as that is, believing that regardless of whatever weight they are, they can achieve things and getting well, their self worth, yeah, getting their parents to see them and hear them uh, and believe them, um, even though it's an extreme situation, um, for who they are. And that's, that's, that's what happens because that's like, okay, I don't want to go too into it, you know, but the, 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 the contradiction between Tony Perkis and these kids is Tony Perkis was a fat kid whose rich dad was aloof towards him and he never had anybody care about him and love him except for to train him, teach him and discipline him and try to get him to be in shape. Now he's super in shape, but he's never learned to accept and love him, love himself. And so he's crazy. And then you have these kids who, you know, are at a fat camp and, um, you know, learn the opposite lesson. They learn to care about themselves and so forth and so on. And so when they do start to lose weight, it's a minor note in the story, a minor note in their life. It doesn't define their identity. And it's because they want to lose the weight. And just having a simple thing of having your protagonist uh, contrasted with your antagonist. <laughs> and like, these are the monsters these kids could turn into and all this sort of stuff. That's why he's kind of their worst fear. And also that's why he's so antagonistic towards these kids because he sees himself in each and every one of them, this, this version of himself he hates. He's been taught to hate. That sounds ridiculous for a movie called Heavyweights. It's about obese children. Uh, but it's actually there. There's actual mm-hmm. subtext in this kids movie. Well, I think it, it has a really good lesson to it, and and um and it's not in a mean spirited way. They're not. No, they're not. It never feels like they're making fun of these kids because they're overweight. They're definitely more making fun of Tony Perkis and the German counselor and yeah. and all that stuff. Um, the other thing that I thought this movie that's really cool is that the the counselor that's overweight, Pat, gets yes. the girl. You don't, especially, especially in nineties movies. Like, so you've got Tim, the Paul Feig character is in super good shape and everything and yep. handsome dude. And he's a goofball. And then you have Pat who, yeah, he's overweight, but again, self-worth, he's a good person and he cares yep. about these kids and helps them. And then nurse Julie ends up with him at the end and, and yep. they get that scene where they kiss. And I just thought that was a really healthy thing, especially for kids to see is it's like, yeah, your self-worth isn't just because you're, in shape in like shape Tim. Yeah. I, I, you know it's like pat is overweight and just like these kids are overweight and they all have you know they're all worthy of happiness and and friendship well, even and everything. the and, even the inner gender camp the girls camp comes over and he does that to shame them and embarrass them purpose 
of, and instead, when the boys get out of their shell and believe in themselves, they are having a great time, and the girls yeah. are having a great time, just yeah. the way they are. And then mm-hmm. that makes him mad because he did the whole thing to try to like shame them into losing weight or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, I don't think Disney would be making a movie about obese children and calling it heavyweights yeah. <laughs> anymore. <Anyway, laughs> anymore. Maybe they would call it meatballs. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, you could you couldn't there's certain things in this movie you couldn't do anymore uh because of sensitivity and body issues. Certainly. But I think overall if I have all the summer camps I had to pick to go to, I would want to go to fat camp with these kids. Yeah, I, 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 I want to experience the blob and I'm a terrible, terrible swimmer. And <laughs> I, I would risk death to be at a camp with these kids. You know, kids, I, I hope these kids are is sm- there to save you. <laughs> these kids are smart. They're funny. And also let's be honest. Disney had a, was better, especially in this era of, finding more talented kids and also shaping them into better performers. The, These, the, act- the kids that are in this movie are part of the Disney boot camp machine. <laughs> the kids are, yeah, the kids are good. Yeah. These are the kids that you see show up in the sports movies and the camp yep. movies and the, yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's fun. The kids it's well-written. That's the thing too, is that it's, it's, it's laugh out loud funny at parts. It really is humorous. It's ridiculous in the best way with Tony Perkins and all his craziness. The actors are all in, especially Ben Stiller. I mean, he has given it his all. He isn't phoning in a second, like I said earlier. It is it is just great, the performance that he gives. And um, good lesson, like we said, it, about self-worth and, and believing in yourself and all that. And um, I think that I mean, I watched this in Camp Nowhere interchangeably, and I know that those are two drastic, you know, drastically different films for you. But, <laughs> I, you know, these two were like back and forth to me. I think they both had their own merits. Um, I do recognize, though, I think writing wise, and, and now you would see where these people would go on to do. I mean, you've got obviously Judd Apatow and all his stuff that he's made. But then when you have Stephen Brill, like look at all the comedies that he's gone on to do with Adam Sandler stuff. I mean, love it or hate it, the Adam Sandler stuff, but he directed little Nicky. He directed Mr. Deeds um, without a paddle, uh, you know, uh, Jobit <laughs> Taylor. Uh, we'll kind of skip over that. But, 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 but he directed Hubie Halloween, which I think oh, is God. a very, very fun. That's one of my favorite Adam Sandler movies in a long time with him delving into all the crappy grown-ups movies and all that. Hubie Halloween is a silly return to form, I thought, for Adam Sandler because that's the stuff I grew up with. You know, I like it, Mr. Deeds and Little Nicky. So, um, you know, he's gone on to have a, a you know, solid career in directing he's gone to make silly money. comedies. Adam Sandler's gotten yeah. this guy paid. Yeah, There you go. We get the bus pickup at the beginning. Captain gets on the bus. Uh, actually, gets on a flight and then gets on the bus. Um, <laughs> do we have outcast campers? I guess technically they are. What's really weird is the camp is very inclusive, and then they kind of become outcast-ish. When, with the, there is the rival camp, with the sports, the MVP mm-hmm. camp. So that a little bit. doesn't completely apply here. Are there pranks and bets? Uh, if you, if torture is a prank and a bet, maybe Yeah. <laughs> the <laughs> hijinks here, 
Yeah, are the kids putting Ben Stiller in an electric cage where he gets shocked? Uh, putting is it Lars is the Lars? The yes, 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 yeah. uh, Tying him to a tree and yeah, leaving him, him for woods. a bear. Yeah, yeah. Um, is there a Parents' Day? Yes, there is. Because mm-hmm. uh, Gus's or Gary's or Jerry's, Jerry, Jerry's parents' uh, dad knocks out <laughs> Ben Stiller. Oh, that's uh, uh, uh and then um, who is it? It's Tony Perkins Senior. Call me Papa. <laughs> yeah, which is a dual role for Ben Stiller. <laughs> yeah, uh, we've got a rival camp, Camp MVP. There is the big race, which is the unfortunately named Apache Relay, where all of everybody dresses up in Apache like leathers. Yeah, it's a different time. I'm not insensitive right, depiction but... of First Nation peoples. <laughs> Bingo. I, and is know, there it, su- is there summer love? Summer ca- Oh, there's Julie. Yeah, there's yeah. Julie. Yeah. I, there's something about summer camps, and I don't know. I I went to. I never went to a camp like this, like a sleepaway yeah. camp. I never went to a camp where you did all that stuff. I went to yeah. like school summer camps, and then you went home mm-hmm. at the end of the day or whatever. But I, I don't know what it is about them, at least in these movies. But they all seem to be like when you go to camp, you embrace the Native American pseudo Native American culture. Yeah. yeah, I don't know yeah. what the what why they were attached to. Things like that. Well, there's Camp Tippecanoe and all the camps around me, the sleepaway camps, were all faux Indian or Native yeah. American names. So that's it's a reflection of what summer camp was. I I I I don't know. There it definitely was like weird bullshit pseudo culturally appropriated <laughs> fake. Yeah. You know, I mean, like the image in your head when you think summer camp is like totem poles and stuff like that. You know right. I mean? The signs yeah. are always like those. Yeah. Wooden. Yeah. They look like. Yeah. Um, what about Jason uh, massacred? How many kids at fake Indian camps? You know? Yeah. I was going to yeah. say, what about Camp Crystal Lake? <laughs> All right. Well, I give this one a 7.25 out of 10. And it's obviously my number one for the week. I believe it is the best. I'm adding it to the shortlist. Camp Fat Kids. No, uh, Heavyweights. <laughs> I uh, this is also my number one for the week, and I gave heavyweights an eight point two five, just narrowly edging out Camp Nowhere. Yeah, smart man. Okay, it's time for a recap. Coming in dead last for me is Camp Nowhere, three out of ten. Then number four, Ernest goes to camp, five out of ten. Coming in number three is Little Darlings, problematic, strange, maybe brilliant, six out of ten. <laughs> Meatballs, seven out of ten. Problematic, not brilliant, but not mean either. And uh, I'll probably regret even scoring it this high. Uh, Meatballs, <laughs> 7 out of 10. Heavyweights, number one, 7.25 out of 10. So I have at number five, Little Darlings with a 5.0. My Easily my worst of the week. I All the good stuff got canceled out by the creepy stuff that we discussed. So I, I cannot... Cannot put it above these lovely classic children's fair that we've we've talked about. And I am uh, my I'm a little heartbroken, Jason, at your disrespect to my childhood classics. <laughs> uh, coming in at number four, Meatballs with a six point five. I I I think is less less problematic, which is crazy to think about. It's less problematic than Little Darlings, <laughs> but still plenty of problems. And we've rewritten it in a way to where. I think yes, uh, I think we could make it a little bit better. Uh, coming in at number three is Ernest goes to camp with a seven point five. It's Ernest. I 
I was sad to not be able to rank Ernest movie number one, but it's the first one. This was like a trial run. Uh, you know, it's entertaining. Kids fair, like I said. There is some problematic stuff. Uh, Jason's introduced me to some more problems, problematic <laughs> stuff that I even knew. Um, but unfortunately, yeah. I couldn't. I, I was so wanted to to battle the Lady Wand to try to get an Ernest movie into the vault. <laughs> that was like my my dream. I'm like, is there any way that I can rank Ernest number one and somehow fight to have it preserved? And I just couldn't with this one, sadly. So maybe there will be another chance in the future. That's, that's why I have respect for you because your actual Rotten Tomatoes certified film critic hat came out. The thing that Kevin doesn't tell you is of the 200 people on Rotten Tomatoes, he's one of them. I well, after maybe don't send this one to the people. <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes. I don't know. <laughs> coming, coming in at number two, it was a close one, but I had to uh, I had to give this one to Camp Nowhere with an 8.0, and coming in at number one, and we can agree on this one, Heavyweights yes. with an 8.25, number one of the week. How'd that meatball song go? Was it get ready for a meatball? <laughs> don't, don't tell him I didn't warn you. How's it go? I don't know. I heard it a few times and it just went in one ear, out the other. That movie. About to ruin the plot. Something meatballs. Speaking of songs, did you stay for the entire credits where they had the cast sing a song at the end of Heavyweights? I stayed for the entire for the entire credits because you saw the end credit scene. I saw the end for the first time in my life. Yeah, where he's selling crystals. He's reinvented himself as a crystal salesman. Uh, yeah, and which yeah. which I think he'll he'll fail at that and go on to open Globo Gym. Globo Gym. Be, I I didn't realize there was an post credit scene in heavyweights. Yeah. 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 So yeah. that's the other thing too is we think of with Marvel and they've really popularized stuff. I mean, I know that. Ferris Bueller did it before that, but you know, we didn't, as a kid, I didn't remember a lot of post-credit scenes and come to find out 1994's heavyweights has a post-credit scene. (laughs) But but when the credits roll, Pat is leading the campers. That's right. A song that they sing throughout the whole credits. And I didn't remember that either. Yeah. Yeah. That's another one where I was like, Oh, I don't remember this song, but, but I stayed to listen to the song and then I saw a post-credit scene, which yeah, kind of blew my mind. It worked. On our very next episode, we'll be ranking the films of John Woo, which includes 1986's A Better Tomorrow, 1989's The Killer, 1990's Bullet in the Head, 1992's Hard Boiled, and 1993's Hard Target. Could you imagine going from Little Darlings to Bullet in the Head? What other show? <laughs> what other shows going from Ernest Goes to Camp to uh, Bullet in the Head? <laughs> uh, I don't think there are. I think we've made history and, and forever will. That's right. Well, this has gone on twice as long as I thought it would, Kevin. It's this the- is unbelievable that we've just talked three <laughs> hours about these movies. I honestly can I, I, I can't I probably believe have a missing persons report out right now for me. Like Yeah, it is the middle of the night as we, we've gone from normal waking hours to the middle of the night talking about Ernest goes to camp, but I couldn't have done it without I can't imagine wasting this much time with anybody else other than you. Everybody knows you. Everybody loves you. You're real spoilers. You're, you're celebrating your 10th year 
of Doing Real Spoilers, over 700 episodes. Uh, the three core members uh, remain. Joe, I guess, was an early addition, but has basically now produced more episodes than the two original guys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. No, Joe was an early addition in episode one. Oh, I didn't realize he was at the first. I thought he was like on episode he was, two or three. But but, okay. but he he was brought in to be a guest on our comic book episode, and he just never left. Yeah, never left. Uh, was nearly killed this year, but uh, did <laughs> still manage to record podcast and is finally on the mend. So uh, yeah, great things over there from Real Spoilers. There's so much crossover. Go to their Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Real Spoilers. I listen. I'll see if I can do your plugs for you. If you, they like everybody, they like everybody, but they'll like you a little bit extra if you go to facebook.com slash League of Show Shares, join the fan community, League of Show Shares, uh, and share a show. You have to share episodes either on Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, whatever, and they'll shout you out. If you want a cheap plug on their show, they'll give it to you. Uh, Tom does it at the beginning of every episode for his shameless plugs and shout outs and whatnot. And they will shout you out if you are a sharer of the show. You've probably heard binge movies on there a number of times. And uh, longtime subscriber of Real Spoilers. Uh, listen, almost every week, there's certain movies I don't want spoiled, but then I go back and listen. Um, and yeah, it's great. It's a great show. You've got great chemistry between the three of you. You're all three distinct personalities, and that's why it works. And well, thank you, you. You got Tom, who is an older, more curmudgeonly man, who's gotten more <laughs> curmudgeonly as time has gone on, but has got a very sharp wit and has a encyclopedic knowledge of a lot of old timey references. Um, very, very dry sense of humor, but very funny. Uh, has a professional broadcast background. You have Kevin. Kevin is a, a professional film and and uh, theater reviewer. Uh, for the St. Louis area and globally, thanks to real spoilers. Kevin is the more, uh, I would say, I idealistic. He tries to see the good in everything except for meatballs. He tries to see the good in everything. <laughs> and little darling. <laughs> little darling. Yeah, he tries to see the good in everything. He tries to find something positive, unless it's Mario. And then, <laughs> uh, and, and uh, he really tries to put thing in, things in context. The best thing that they ever did uh, was the box office report. Uh, oh. And and now Kevin's put that behind a paywall. So you have to join Patreon for him to occasionally do it. <laughs> Breaks my heart. And then Joe, yeah. Joe is... Um, sweet pea. He's a sweet pea. He's the, he's the <laughs> angel. Uh, no, Joe is... Joe uh, is... I, I don't even know how to describe him. <laughs> he's a character. He is the perfect agent of chaos that the show needs to keep it interesting. Oh, it's great. Yeah, we we have a good dynamic. We have a lot of fun on the show. And like you said, we all bring something different to the table. Yeah. It it does work because it's not just like three of the same character talking about the stuff. I mean, yeah. it, it, what's interesting is that when someone comes to the show, you're usually going to get three different opinions. It really is like one person will love it. One person will hate it. One person yep. will be somewhere in the middle. And it's interesting how it rotates to where... You know, Tom a lot of times doesn't like the stuff, but uh, sometimes Joe will love it. Sometimes Joe will be in the middle and I'll really love it. And it's interesting how no matter what the order is of the three of us that have this dynamic, very rarely do we all go, that was amazing or, oh, that sucked. It's it's pretty interesting mix. 
when the interesting mix creates a show where the tangents are as interesting as the movie review and sometimes more interesting than the movie oh. you are reviewing. 60, uh, 60 minutes of suck. Uh, I, there, uh, earlier, the, earlier this year, there was legitimately, I think, 20 minutes about dueling rules. At the end <laughs> yeah. of an episode, I listened to every minute. I was like, how long is this going to go? And, and he was just... I was, had to edit it. <laughs> He had to go to the Library of Congress and find a scan of a document from 200 years ago about the rules of dueling. He was trying to read it live to tape. It was insane. But that's what makes the show special and interesting because I sat through every minute of that and never even thought about turning it off. And I think about turning this show off every second. <laughs> well, thank you. Now we really appreciate it. We appreciate you being one of our long-suffering listeners, as we say. And uh, thanks for putting up with yeah. us and, and caring enough to have us on the show every once in a while. So oh, this for was sure. fun. Uh, even though you broke my heart a little bit with these. Let, let but, me just say the last positive thing about real spoilers. Something happened please. earlier this year on that show hmm. where you and Tom liked a movie. Not to the same yeah. degree, but you both were positive on it. Joe didn't like it at all. The movie yeah. doesn't matter. I mean, it doesn't matter which movie it was. And Joe was like, this movie's no good, blah, 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 blah. And the two of you, you didn't pile on him. You weren't like, oh, you're stupid. This is a... It just explained maybe some things that he did, the context that he wasn't thinking of. Yeah. And he said something that no movie reviewer, no movie podcaster ever says. He said you know what, maybe I'm wrong about this one. And when it comes out on video, I'll give it another chance with that context in mind, and maybe I'll like it more. The fact that anybody on a podcast would be like, you know what, maybe my opinion isn't completely informed. I'm thinking that maybe, maybe I'm open. I'm opening my mind to maybe be wrong about this one. That never happens. I thought it was, I honestly thought it was so wholesome and wonderful. I sent him a DM the, right after I got done listening to the episode. I was like, Joe, Joe that is the m most wholesome thing I've heard. And he was like, what? He was like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> and I was like, no. I, but it's like, that doesn't happen. But it does yeah. happen on your show. It does happen on Real Spoilers. Well, thank you. I, you know, that is one thing that I wish there was more of when it comes to conversations online, whether it's movies or anything, is that, you know, all this stuff, art is subjective, as people say time and time again, and yeah. it's all opinions. And I think rather than just shutting other people out or people that have different opinions, as happens, whether it's film, Twitter, or just the world, politics, anything, listen, listen to the other person, listen to theirs, because they are opinions, but these opinions are oftentimes informed by things, whether it's experience the movies you've seen before, the games you've played before, whatever it is. And so sometimes you see things from a different angle if you listen. And it's not to say like, oh, I'm right, you're wrong. It's to say, well, I liked it because of so, so, and so, you know, and the other person goes, well, I never thought about it like that. Maybe, you know, or maybe they say, yeah, I get it, but not for me. And, and that's okay too. But uh, you know, it's about listening as much as it is about talking, giving your opinion. So uh, even though I wasn't able to convince you today that Camp Nowhere and Ernest are great movies, maybe you thought a little more highly of them? I don't know. No, if anything, I actually lowered the score of Camp Nowhere oh. from a four to a three. That's not good. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> as well. we talked about it, I was like, oh, it's worse than I remember. Okay. So well, take, it doesn't always work. So I'm not Joe. I'm not a wholesome person who is oh. open-minded. My opinions are right. 
your childhood is wrong, mm. Kevin. And if you liked Camp Nowhere and you're listening to the show, you're wrong and your childhood experience is wrong. <laughs> My childhood wow. experience was right. <laughs> well, I just have to say, I, yeah. from the top of the episode, I have been enlightened. So take that. That's true. That's true. I'm still I, a very low Thetan level. So maybe I just haven't seen the true genius that is Camp Nowhere. Mm. Tell me if I'm wrong. Tell me if this episode went too long. Follow Kevin. Follow the show. League of Show Shares. Give him a five-star review. Follow him on Spotify. Follow him on Good Pods. Follow him on Slinger, Stringer, Spreaker. Follow Spreaker. him on Sling TV, Amazon Music. <laughs> Give him the soul of your firstborn. Until next time, binge on. <laughs>